Episode of Link to the Cast. I am your returning party host, Dave Ryan, here to guide you through the I swear to God we're trying to be weekly dose of video game and nerd culture ephemera. I am joined on the line by the platforming prodigy Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you this evening? How do? How's it going? I'm very good. How are you? I am pretty good because it is not just any podcast. We have called in the reinforcements. For a very special reason, more of which anon, we have called in the Roman Reigns of Link to the Cast and the co-host of the very excellent Away Goals podcast, available at Away Goals Pod on Twitter. Jack Lazell. Jack, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm still not sure how I feel about this Roman Reigns thing. No. And it's the reason I haven't been on for ages, because <laughs> I was mysteriously suspended from the Link to the Cast <laughs> podcast for undisclosed reasons. <laughs> yes and and we and we remained no enhancements needed as randy orton would say i um, was just about to do the same life because <laughs> <laughs> look like we we can bury roman for a number of reasons but the man has lovely hair and he does like and that Jack, is what your that, hair is solid but you've got nothing on mr reigns there well that is what brian said that's, that's why we call him the roman reigns is because he's got luscious hair which I, I think you'll take yeah, at times I have, at other times it's a, it's a tire fire. But, you know, what can we do? We move on. Here we are, anyway. It's my This is my first link to the cast in uh, about six weeks. Well, I mean, I think there's only been one since then. So. Yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, away in San Francisco, as has been documented, and then when I returned from San Francisco, I was straight off to house it in the land of no internet. Um, so I'm, I'm finally back I'm in HQ and because of technical issues I can't be in the same room with Mark even though he's just downstairs But you're uh, better off yeah exactly Yeah, I can I can look at my comic books on the wall instead of staring at Mark um, right. I but, can uh, look at my copy of Downwell that I'm playing as we talk I kid <laughs> how has your time been Mark have you felt the pain of my absence uh, no I've just felt the pain of your pain of your cat digging its claws into my back every other day yeah, yeah, I I instruct them specifically to scratch you enough to remind you that I wasn't here anymore. Yeah, uh, um, no, it's it's been fine. I you know I have a laptop that can't play emulators, would never do such a thing, and I've been uh, indulging in classics like Symphony of the Night and Final Fantasy VI, which I've never finished before, and Link's Awakening, um, which are all very good games, and I'm sure at some point we'll. Uh, We'll feature in our book club we'll do a dive into them yeah that's for sure yeah i'll tell you what i've been doing since i got back before we get into the video game of it all in uh one well in one interrupted sitting yesterday uh when i was i came back and i was slightly ill having come back from nice and um decided to treat myself by binge watching stranger things on netflix the new uh mini series that's up there starring winona Ryder. jack i know mark hasn't but jack have you dipped into stranger things or heard much about it I've got it ready to go. I just I haven't started watching it yet because I kind of want to come at it where I can watch as many as I can in a big run. Oh yeah. Like I don't want to just get home from work and watch like three and fall asleep. I want to go like a whole day and just watch basically the whole thing if I can. Yeah. And it's easy enough to do. Like there's there's only eight episodes of it, and they are they're kind of they're very more. It's like you never want to stop after just one episode. Um, 
I think for me, like, not to get too much into it, because I don't want to spoil anything, because it only just came out last week, and obviously, Jack, you're going to watch it at some point. Mark's going to pretend like he's going to watch it until I forget about it. Oh, no, um, I'm never going to watch it. <laughs> like, it was hilarious. You came into the room yesterday. He was like, yeah, you should watch this. So I was like, yeah, sure. All right, whatever. You got it. it. Like, it's so good. It's It, it actually might be my favorite of uh, the Netflix uh, originals so far. Just because, like, it, in, in a sentence, Jack, to sum it up for you, it's like the cast of Stand By Me wandered into Silent Hill. Ooh, I like that. It's, it's, it's someone said it has a very sort of old just takes a weird turn and then it never stops coming back from the weird turn it takes yeah yeah it's like there's there's lots of Stephen King in there there's some old uh, Spielberg kind of um there's there's lots of uh touches upon um kind of old horror movies and old kind of um adventure movies and things like that which are did you say it was written by Stephen King or no 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 it's just just, it's, just kind of influenced influenced like the two things that come up most um, the Duffer brothers are the guys who wrote and directed it and the two things they mention most uh, when they're interviewed uh, as inspiring them to make this series are um, Stephen King and Silent Hill okay and it definitely feels that and also the soundtrack is absolutely banging and it ha- and it has one of I, I think my favourite opening title cards uh, I've seen in a long long time in a film or in a TV show even should I say yeah I think uh, I saw something about they've put the uh, playlist up on Spotify or something so I might I might at least check that out it's really good it's going for the um, it's going for the kind of like the synthy aesthetic that Drive had except okay. it's not nearly as douchey hey now that Drive soundtrack is a good time yeah but it's a goddamn douchey film <laughs> oh see I, I think we're going to start films and podcast up and have that conversation. You, you're taking it too seriously if you find it douchey. There was like there was a moment at the end, like because I always think that it it should be more accurately instead of called Drive, it should be called um, Ryan Gosling stares stoically into the middle distance for ages. That's um, a number of his films. Yeah, yeah, that didn't make it through marketing. But like he um, there's there's one point in the film where he's sitting in the car and he starts staring stoically into the middle distance. And myself and Dan were watching it. This was a few years ago. And like it legitimately went on for so long, I thought the DVD player had broken. <laughs> I was that's, like, either it's broken or he has died. That's kind of how I felt the first time I watched the OC. <laughs> like, there's just people sort of moodily staring at you, and you just think, well, what, what, why are you staring at me? I haven't done anything. <laughs> Fuck this. I'm gonna have a sandwich. Gentlemen, should we talk about video games? Sure. That's what we're here for. Okay. okay. So let's go playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. I think the one game that everyone's going to expect us to talk about is where we're going to need to start. Uh, Jack, what have you been playing this week that might possibly explain why you're on here? I've been playing Pokemon Go a lot. <laughs> Pokemon Go, the sensation that's sweeping every nation. It is. Now, I our, our varying experiences with it, you uh, are obviously playing it in a much more uh, populated area than I am. I'm playing it on and off. Um, I don't really play a lot because it murders my battery. Uh, that and... is a, an obvious disadvantage of the mm. game, yeah. And because uh, when I was housing for two weeks, like I said, it's the land the, that internet forgot, so... I think it's like a couple of miles to the nearest Pokestop. 
Um, oh, and like I'm pretty much like within my immediate area. I think the I saw one EV and it's just all radatas and pidgeys apart from that. And I've already got a radicate and a pidgeot. So what do I care? Um, Catch them for the experience. But po- Pokemon Go for those of you uh, who might have been living under a rock for the last several weeks. Um, is the new uh, Nintendo licensed game that wasn't actually made by Nintendo. It's made by Niantic, which will form a key part of a news story later on. <laughs> uh, not to tip my cap too much. but uh, So it's, it's the first kind of Nintendo foray sort of into the mobile app market. and um, That isn't that weird social network thing that no one cared about. Yeah, it's like it's, a, it's kind of a hybrid of like a, a geolocation uh, augmented reality experience where... You're basically playing the game we as children would have wanted Pokemon to be, where you're actually walking around in the wild and attempting to catch Pokemon. Um, Jack, as the kind of most experienced uh, Pokemon Go player here, do you kind of want to run uh, people through the finer points of like what you do in the game and why it's like what makes it so addictive, etc.? Conceptually, it's such a simple game, and I think that that's kind of part of its appeal. I, that's probably a a real key point to any mobile game really though that people just want something they can play on a on a train or you know while they're waiting or on the toilet in the case of my friend Matthew Biggs but this one you know this Shut is up. a little bit this is a this is a little bit different because this is something you actually have to explore uh and the very point of the game if anything seems to be to get people outside and and walking around and, and being active in their search for Pokemon, which is pretty cool. So the basic concept or premise of the game is that it's augmented reality. So it's uh, you're seeing your character, your avatar, if you will, on the real life world map and you're walking around and Pokemon spawn at various points on the world map and you can catch them and you can even have the view to go into the camera uh, and see them live in person or you can just catch them normally so once the gimmick of seeing the pokemon in front of you and in the room and on your friend's face or whatever wears off you're probably going to want to opt for the just standard catching the pokemon thing yep and you catch pokemon and you level your guy up and you visit pokestops which will give you pokeballs and potions and fun things and once you get past level five you can put your pokemon on gyms and defend them Everyone's part of these three teams, which at the moment it seems to be like Team Mystic is for the emo kids, Team Valor is for the kids that push over the kids, the emo kids in the Damn playground. Right. Damn right. <laughs> and Team Instinct is just the kind of Hufflepuff house, <laughs> to, to use a Harry Potter reference of the game. Uh, but other than those things, there isn't much more to it, which, you know, it. <sighs> Uh, this I've gone back and forth on because I am thoroughly addicted to it because of my love of Pokemon. But I feel like if this game didn't have Pokemon in it, if it was just anything else or any other concept, I might be erring on the side of not wanting to play it anymore yeah, here's at the this th- point. Here's the thing for my interactions with Pokemon Go and my kind of just looking at the, the mechanics of it and trying to strip away my nostalgia and love for the franchise and stuff like that. Like as a game, as a game, it's kind of shit. I wouldn't say it was shit, but it's very it's, limited in its scope. It's, it's limited in its scope. It's limited in what you can do. It um, it, it um, 
it is it, feels at, it is it is at times yeah it feels unfinished it feels like there's there's a lot of stuff stripped out of there it also um is unreliable at times um with i don't blame them for that though because yes it's unreliable but i feel like when they launched it it's a bunch of nerds in a room who were like we're gonna press the go button on this because we're kind of ready and they did not anticipate what happened and what you're probably going to talk about a bit later in the show that it just became the most popular thing in the history of mobile gaming ever in the space of a couple of days that's crazy i think the thing with it is um when it came out and all the reviews went up um most of the the, uh, kind of journalists and reviewers were saying it's not that great there's like there's really nothing to it like the, the kind of core concept here is good there's just it's just very lacking in content and then a lot of these journalists and and whatever realized that this isn't aimed at us whatsoever and then it blew up and basically the kind of casual person who's not touched pokemon since they were about 10 have got this thing that they may have always wanted or didn't realize they wanted which was was the ability to walk down the street and catch pokemon yeah but a very very simple kind of rudimentary way there's there's even some but there's some stuff that it does that should be simple and should be straightforward that is like mind-numbingly frustrating like one of the things uh, in particular is that like the game doesn't really tick over unless it is actively up front and the screen is on um so when you collect uh, like at some pokestops you collect pokemon eggs and you have to put them in incubators and you walk a certain distance it's two kilometers five kilometers and ten kilometers if i'm not mistaken um you can get an egg that it requires you to walk one of those distances for it to hatch obviously the further you go up in terms of distance the rarer the egg the rarer the pokemon that's in the egg must be but aside from that it is generally quite randomized what you'll end up with but um one of the things that bothers me is that that would be a great idea if it was like okay i can do that and i can like knock the screen off put the phone in my pocket go for a big walk and come back but if you knock the screen off it stops ticking over yeah which to me when on top of that even when you go into the settings and put the battery saver mode on it still eats through a battery like there's no tomorrow it's fair to say that there are some design flaws with this game yeah uh, f- for me i i mean i've barely barely touched it because i just i don't have any ways of playing it um but it's been really fascinating to see a it blow up and b kind of see some of the uh, sort of social consequences or the impact well, it's had. This like is, yeah, this seeing is, news stories the... about people with autism who are leaving the house for yeah, the first time in yeah. two years. This, this is the thing that, like, this is this is the thing that I think rapidly outweighs how, like, I've said the actual game itself. What's there when you compare it to like a lot of games um, is quite bare bones and like not great. But what it has done in terms of like um, the the social impact it has had. Um, we're in an age where um, kind of we're we're used to growing up with games getting completely shit on and people outside the gaming bubble trying to invalidate gaming as an art form or as, as something legitimate at every turn. And what we've seen with Pokemon Go is largely, apart from you know the odd dumb person walking into traffic while playing Pokemon Go, but as I think Philip DeFranco or someone like that said, you can't cure stupid. It wasn't anything to do with Pokemon Go. Um, Guys, I know you were concerned, but I'm okay now, right? <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, like it has had an overwhelmingly positive impact. Like it's rare to 
like it, especially in 2016 it's rare to see news stories that are in any way positive in this world that seems to have gone to hell in a handbasket this year um I, so i can't even explain to you guys firsthand what it's like being in london with this game you li- <laughs> you no you literally see people every street you're walking down there are people glued to their phones playing this game mm-hmm, yeah. like the very like maybe first day it had launched in the uk uh, we stopped outside a park, a local park to me called Cedars Park, and I went into there, and there was a legitimately. Was, was, a... was this the day, Jack? By the way, before you tell the story, was this the day where we were going to be recording a podcast, and then I didn't hear for you from hour for hours? Yes, that is that day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was like making up wanted posters, missing, and just. But I, I was in this park, and and we'd seen a Mister Mime on the nearby now. Mr. Mime sucks, but I didn't have one, so I wanted one at the time. There's a guy who's in his 40s, legit biking up and down this park frantically, going, have you seen this Mr. Mime? <laughs> okay, like, a couple of days later, I'm out. There's a church near me called St. Mary's Church, which happens to be a gym. I put my Pokemon down on it. Some kid walks up to me, some, like, sully 15-year-old kid. He, he looks pretty miserable in a hat, and he's like oh did you put that lapras on that gym and i'm like yeah he goes oh man that's sick let me back you up and like comes and puts down an arcanine next to my lapras and then we sit there talking about the game for half an hour yeah this 15 year old kid normally if he sees me he kicks me in the nuts probably takes my phone and and makes then that's some, the makes end some, of our make, interaction makes, makes some sort of homophobic slur or something like that yeah just it, yeah <laughs> exactly and, and like dave holland park which is a uh, it's a beautiful park in london there's a little memorial japanese garden in the middle and this is probably normally like quite a peaceful place but holland park happens to be in london one of the meccas of rare and exotic pokemon and i was sat in this kyoto gardens where you can reach four pokestops at once the other day and i would say probably four out of five people that were standing there and there were a few hundred people there were all playing the game and there was absolute chaos when there was a wild lapras there was absolute chaos when someone saw a wild vaporeon and they were just running as well it's just crazy there was there 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 are great stories like that where like people are meeting up and they're talking and stuff like that and you know like you meet like talk to that 15 year old kid about pokemon and like finding some common ground there there are funny stories like there was that guy who was uh asking on reddit is there any way to uh request that somewhere uh stops becoming a gym because his house used to be a church and was accidentally uh made into a gym so kids keep calling around to his house (laughs) (laughs) Um, and he wanted that to stop Um, there was uh, I went to I was um, myself and my girlfriend had a day off work and we were up in Dublin and we went to uh, Kilmainham Jail which is probably most famous for um, the uh, the 1916 Easter Rising rebels were shot uh, there and I (laughs) I decided I was going to uh, see because I'd seen all these stories about how like uh, they had to put up posters in the Holocaust Museum to stop people coming in to try and catch Pokemon in there. Um, so I was like, I wonder uh, if they've like started to learn their lesson and take kind of uh, somber historical sites off. Uh, turns out the very first thing that happened when I booted up Pokemon Go in Kilmainham Jail was uh, I was inundated with ghost-type Pokemon. Oh, no. <laughs> Which, like, I laughed at, but uh Yeah. Uh, but there's like there there's a uh, a lot of great stories. The one that really touched me before we move on, like the the one that really uh, kind of uh, 
brought a t- kind of bring a tear to a glass eye sort of stuff is all the people who are going and leaving lures at children's hospitals and that has happened there is some yep. various hospitals across from where i work there's a big children's ward there and i would say from when i get there at like half eight in the morning to when i leave around five there is a law on there pretty much every moment yeah. of the day it's and great that, for like the kids that can't leave awesome. the hospital it's, it's really nice that people are just walking past and leaving a lure there at the pokestop as they go um, Dave, there are there are there are like raves and gigs and club nights being advertised in london at the moment saying we are within range of a pokestop yeah. we will be putting laws on all night please come to our thing they're using the game yeah, as a means to get people in it's a brave new world friends it's a uh, it's very very strange and we're going to get into what that's done for nintendo um later on in the show but um i will say this as well finally about pokemon go is uh the meme game with that is very strong it is i i have enjoyed uh people uh shitting on which which one is it again which is the team that everyone hates i can't remember i can never remember the instinct team. instinct that's it i knew mystic and valor i'm i'm, I'm team valor Word yeah exactly the fact that you couldn't even remember their name is a yeah. bigger burial than anything i'm gonna say <laughs> you're damn right you're damn right um like uh the the constant meme burials of them are absolutely fantastic i do love it um but uh moving on mark uh what have you been playing in this uh long uh absence from the podcast uh fury that was fury... was a uh, ps plus game last month wasn't it? it was a ps plus game yes it was a free ps plus game um fury is uh like equal parts cyberpunk equal parts samurai jack equal parts the drive soundtrack um in this very kind of bold brightly colored weird futuristic landscape um it plays it's basically just a series of boss battles with this uh narrative sequence between each of the boss battles um but it's really fucking hard uh but in the good kind of way uh the boss battles are split into sort of two sections where um they have whatever their sequence is and you have to kind of chip away at their life and then there's the second part of the sequence where you're in like a kind of contained circle and so the combat's a lot closer and then you do this however many times you need to with each particular boss but basically it's um a game where you think it's like a kind of typical hack and slash, but it's not. You have to sort of take the time to kind of survey what the attacking style of the uh, the enemy is and then kind of work around that. So that's been very, very challenging. Like it goes between points of being like a rhythm action game to uh, like a bullet hell, like Ikaruga kind of game. Um, it I've still not finished it. The, the final boss is, is a nightmare. Um, but like, I don't think... It might sneak into like my top ten games of the year, but just in terms of the overall kind of style and presentation, it's incredible. Um, but it does have the problem that in the, the narrative sequences, when you're walking about, it uses the old school tank controls like Resident Evil, and that's absolute Ugh. garbage. Yeah. Uh, it <laughs> doesn't work at all. Um, but I would definitely recommend. I don't know if it's still up there now. Um, but uh, Fury... It'll be well by the time this is posted, it will have just gone off. Okay. Um, but definitely something that I think people should at least have a look at, if nothing else. Um, but it's very, very challenging. Um, and then the only other thing is I finally, because I'm so current with the times, I finally downloaded Downwell. 
Which uh, I, I distinctly remember when you moved here, you were already overdue to start playing Downwell. Yeah, well, there's that and Axiom Verge, like the oh, two God. that I need to... Still goddamn furious with you for not playing that game yet. <laughs> I will get around to it. Uh, Downwell is a uh, kind of Twitch-based um, roguelike, permadeath roguelike, um, where you have just two... Well, three buttons, left, right, and a, a jump action, which has several uh, mechanics within that. Uh, and you fall down a well, and you have to avoid all of the kind of enemies that are coming at you, but also jump on the enemies' heads as well. Um, but it kind of it color codes them, so enemies that are white, you can land on, you can jump on them, and you can kind of chain combos um, that I think just give you higher points. I haven't played it enough to kind of see what the kind of rewards for that are. And then there are enemies that are colored red, and you have to, uh, you can when you jump when you're in the air, you have a, a weapon or a gun. You can find different weapons that do different sort of things, like a shotgun or a spread shot, and uh, and you fire at them to kind of destroy them and, and take gems there are shops as well as you go further down and you can use the shops to kind of upgrade get life health that kind of stuff uh and yeah it's just it's a very very simple very stylish game but the very simple mechanics of it make it very addictive um and it's yeah it's, it's very much up my street uh so yeah they're really the only two things i've been playing that kind of um, well, i say modern downwell was like 2014 uh, but other than that, it's only been stuff that I do want to talk about, but it's probably more applicable to a, a book club review at some point. So, um, yeah, you, they're, they're you, you buried the lead on Downwell. I love the name of the main character. It's just a curious man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Fantastic. that's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Um, I, the, I over the few weeks I've uh, been playing bits and pieces here or there uh, I won't talk about everything now I might spread it over this week and next week's episode um, just so that we're not going on too long on this part of the show but uh, one of the main things I want to talk about is uh, I have played the new game by uh, Playdead Studios that is Inside the, um, the, the spiritual successor to Limbo um, a game that I, I also can't believe Mark hasn't gotten around to yet, but he will be this week because I'm going to be throwing my Xbox at him. Uh, I think that's a little on. bit more reasonable seeing as I don't have an Xbox. Well, there's been an Xbox here the entire time, Mark. That's all I'm saying. Um, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go gallivanting into your room. And... Oh, I thought there was a punchline to that. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> did um, you just stop in mid-sentence? He did, there? yeah. yeah. That was kind of like he had a stroke or something there. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I'd leave it to your imagination what I'd be doing gallivanting into your room, but carry on. Um, Is it because you... you want to emulate a curious man from Downwell? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Inside is not uh, entirely dissimilar mechanically from Limbo in as much as it is a side-scrolling, uh, puzzle-based game with platforming elements to it um, that has a creepy art aesthetic to it. I think, firstly, that I... Uh, I marvel at and I'm very impressed by and maybe even prefer the art style of Inside to that of Limbo. Um, as great as Limbo is, that's not to diss Limbo by any stretch of the imagination, but I think uh, personally um, I, I preferred Inside. Um, it's a game that you can beat in about three to four hours, uh, maybe even a little bit less if you don't really get stuck on any of the puzzles. The puzzles are reasonably challenging, but if you play enough of these games uh, and understand how like these kind of logic-based puzzles work, uh, none of them should take you too long and you shouldn't be reaching for the guides. Uh, that's for sure. Um, the other question that people keep asking themselves about uh, Inside is, is it better? Is it worse? Is it about the same as Limbo in terms of how good the game is? And the uh, 
kind of for the most part of the game it's kind of um and i think this is what most people have said about it like it's on an even keel with limbo in terms of like fun and difficult and things like that uh going in and then the final act of the game is where i became convinced that this game was made by broken nightmare people <laughs> uh i'm not going to spoil what happens and i don't know if i could even put the words to what happens without you actually having to see it but uh You'll know, if you play through this game, you'll know what I'm talking about as soon as it happens. Um, but it is, like, it is ungodly horrifying, and it is a very, very creepy game in general. Um, I got, I definitely got a lot more creeped out by certain elements of it than I ever did by um, Limbo, that's for sure. Uh, it's definitely, I would recommend it. Uh, whether it is a game of the year or not, I'm, I don't, not for me, I don't think. But uh, I'll, I'll probably have to play through it again or watch Mark play through it just to be sure because I kind of did blitz through it very quickly. Is it one of those kind of games where you appreciate what it is but you wouldn't necessarily say, okay, this is a great game? Yeah, look, it's really good. It's really good, but it's a thing where, like, I, I've kind of... I've beaten it now and I'm quite satisfied I've beaten it and uh, don't know if I would necessarily go back to it anytime soon or at all were it not for the fact that I host a show where at some point I will have to consider my games of the year um, and to me always like if it's a game of the year candidate or a truly great game I do always want to replay those um, yeah. and I don't necessarily not yet anyway but maybe it's just because it's been too soon since I beat it um, that I don't, I don't really feel the need to uh, replay it at any stage. Uh, although there are, like much like in Limbo, there are secrets to be found and things like that. And there is like a different, a, a slightly different ending, I believe. Um, I've heard some people say on different podcasts. I don't know. I haven't delved too deep into it because I was kind of hoping that I might see Mark play to the end and see if he gets a different uh, outcome to me. Um, the other games I've been playing are kind of, um, they're not nearly as current as that. Uh, I have been playing, I, I played a couple of hours of Red Dead Redemption, which uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, was made backwards compatible for Xbox One. So um, that's awesome because still to this day, we don't have a PC port of Red Dead Redemptions that I'd be able to play on uh, on PC because I've traded in my last gen consoles. So I don't have, a, I didn't have a way to play Red Dead Redemption. Um, that game is still just as unbelievably good as I remember it. Um, they have you've seen me play it, Mark, haven't you? For a couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, briefly. They've they've prettied it up and sharpened it up just enough that, like, on the Xbox One and through my big TV here, it, it doesn't look like a game that's what is it six years old at this point? I think. Uh it's about that. I, I can never remember like the, the timeline of when that came out, but I, I, I want to say I, it's I, around there. I want to say it was twenty ten. Um. But, like, there's not too much more I can say about it. Like, everything that can be said about Red Dead Redemption has already been said. Uh, but if, you are, if you're if you one of the four or five people on the face of the earth that owns an Xbox One, you don't really have an excuse because I believe you can buy, you, you can do what I did where you buy the game digitally. And if you have Xbox Live Gold, you can pick up Red Dead Redemption on Xbox 360 digitally for €7. Euro, and then you automatically get it in your queue to download the backwards compatible version on your Xbox One. And like seven quid for one of the best games of last generation, if not the best, as far as some people are concerned, is a pretty good bargain as far as I'm concerned. Uh, a game I played in the last couple of weeks that I had never played before, uh, and shame on me for never having played it, South Park, The Stick of Truth. 
You didn't play South Park. I ne- no, never played it. Never played it. Oh, it's uh, fantastic. But you see, I'm a guy with a TV show where I watched like the first few seasons of that religiously. Uh, and then at a certain point, it lost me or I lost it. And like with the exception of the occasional episode here or there, it's kind of, it's one of those shows where too much of it has has passed now that it would be a, like a monumental effort for me to watch all of it. And I'm the kind of person that would need to properly catch up, even though it's not like it has the... Uh, most detailed narrative arc going over every season you know what I mean uh, I'd still feel the completionist need in me to try and watch every episode so I kind of like I tuned out of South Park at a certain point so I didn't think that maybe the game would be for me because I thought a lot of the references either would go over my head or would at least be from the more current seasons that I wouldn't know as much about um, but I was wrong uh, that game it's not the it, it's not the longest RPG I have ever played um, it, I managed to complete it and all the side quests, I would say, within about 12 to 15 hours, maybe. Would that sound about right, Mark? It's been a while since I've played that game, but yeah, yeah I'd, I'd go with that maybe a little bit more. Depends how much you really want to kind of get into the side quests and stuff of that nature. Yeah, um, like I have all the, all the, I have the critical path and all the side quests beaten at this point, um, and like a good half, maybe more of the trophies for the game um it's really good it's really really funny um it has enough references to kind of old south park material that i got it and a lot of the references uh to the newer series are kind of um they're explained enough or they are funny enough out of context that i never felt like i wasn't in on the joke you know what i mean um it's not a very difficult game i will say that like i was playing it on normal i know there is a, a difficulty you can crank it up but i don't know how much more difficult it gets there um it's a, it has a couple of weird like difficulty spikes at random points in the game that if you're not prepared for will just completely like what the fuck do i do here yeah but i appreciate any game that has me texting mark in the middle of the night to go i just defeated a mongol horde with the power of my farts this is a great game <laughs> um what what are your guys like you guys by the sounds of it from how appalled you were at me you've both played uh stick of truth what, what are your thoughts on the game uh bearing in mind that the reason we're bringing this up is that if you pre-order the new south park game fractured but whole if you uh if you pre-order that digitally you, <laughs> you can get through that without i know i couldn't i couldn't if you pre-order that digitally you immediately get uh, a download for a ps4 or xbox one version of uh the stick of truth so that's how i was playing it uh on my ps4 uh but yeah your you guys your your brief thoughts on um stick of truth uh after you jack i liked it <laughs> good how, how brief do you want these thoughts to be <laughs> no i i think it's really fun i think if you're a long-term fan of south park you'll really enjoy it as you say it's not really one if you're a gamer that you would pick up necessarily just to play it i think it's as you say quite basic but it, it's something that is kind of more in the mold of like an interactive visual experience there's yes there's the side quests for the kind of nerdier gamers such as ourselves but i would imagine that the vast majority of people that are playing it are playing it because they love south park and it does have that kind of casual feel where you can just whip through the game quickly you can see all the funny bits you can defeat a mongol horde with the power of your farts and you can just thoroughly enjoy yourself and i did i thought it was a lot of fun I like collecting the little chim Pokemon toys and stuff like that, yeah. <laughs> bringing it right back to Pokemon Go. But yeah, I, I like the game. I haven't played it in a while. I'm looking forward to uh, the uh, 
the butthole game. <laughs> I, I like... You always uh, say that. I, I do like the the actual mechanics, the, the RPG mechanics, because they're actually more in tune with the uh, the Mario RPG series in that like there's actually a little bit of interactivity around uh, how you battle uh, and there's like kind of time prompts and that sort of stuff um because um certainly with like playing ff6 at the moment while i uh, appreciate that turn-based sort of style of gameplay um it does feel like it gets a little bit tedious for me and just because i'm from that kind of twitch based background of of any kind of platforming game like i like having something more to do than just using a menu the whole time um so i appreciate that south park goes down that route but it's obviously still kind of very simplified it's a very simplified version of an rpg um and the, the game is more kind of focused on you know being south park but no, I I think it's a it's a really good game, and I think that it was a pleasant surprise because that that's one of those games that went through what we call development hell. Um, like it, it took years for that game to get finished, and like uh, I mean, there's a whole lot you can kind of read up about that. Um, so it's kind of like Doom, where everyone was like, "What's this gonna actually be like?" And then it turned out to be fucking incredible. Yeah, um, it's definitely it's a game that's crafted with uh, a lot of love. You can tell. Um, yes. It wasn't just a cash in, but you could probably just if you had followed uh, the uh, beleaguered development cycle of that game, that that much was kind of clear. Uh, and I think as well, just because you know we'd had how many South Park games now to that point that would. Just terrible. Yeah, Trey, um, Trey and Matt were very hands-on with this as well. Like, I still remember that original South Park game on the N64 and just being like, fuck this. Yeah. Um, I quite like that. I can't explain why. There was something satisfying about just taking those turkeys out. <laughs> it didn't get old. Um, the, the other game I, I played through it's an ent- in its entirety while I was away uh, house-sitting was Tales from the Borderlands, which I only want to mention very quickly. As being like, I'm a guy who is partial to my Telltale games every now and then. For instance, right after this, the recording of this podcast, uh, Telltale's Batman Episode 1 will be live on the PlayStation Store. And I have it preloaded, ready to go and do a stream pretty much straight away at midnight. But uh, I do enjoy those games. And I must say, um, in terms of uh, writing, voice acting soundtrack and actual gameplay i think tales from borderlands is one of the best telltale games that there has been um it's probably just right that rung underneath walking dead season one for me yeah i think that's going to be the the kind of standard barometer that everyone tries to compare to but says "Ah, it's just it's not quite as good because i think it's the case of you know the walking dead was first and it's always very difficult to be what came first walking dead was first and walking dead told uh managed to tell a very personal and emotional story and i think the way (laughs) i don't think borderlands can do that yeah and and the way that like um the way that the telltale games are structured in terms of the branching dialogue trees and the the quick time events and stuff like that i actually think very much complemented the way they were telling that story in the walking dead also that season one of walking dead and season two as well um they both feel way more like the walking dead comics than the tv show ever has so i think for a lot of the fans of the comic book that maybe felt like oh the tv show is fine but it's not the comic book uh, i think they got satisfied by the telltale game but yeah tales from the borderlands like it's it's exactly what you want from a telltale game in as much as um it is not going to be the most time-consuming or difficult game you ever play, but it is going to be a lot of rip-roaring fun while you're there, which um, kind of also um, is what you would want from a Borderlands game. Like, they are not the most uh, 
complicated or dense games in the world but they are like you know just a bunch of uh just just a bunch of fun to play um i i enjoyed the, like i said the, it's got like for a telltale game and obviously as we were talking about off the air mark like it's it's gonna be because gearbox was uh putting a few quid into this um the the voice cast is absolutely stellar like um troy baker uh Nolan North all your all your usual favorites uh Chris Hardwick is in there as uh one of the main characters in it um Ooh. yeah he yeah he plays a uh, the uh, the kind of the tech guy Vaughn and he's he's actually really really good in it um but there's a lot yeah there's a lot of like well known if you're someone who follows your video game voice casting pretty much all the heavy hitters are in there Laura Bailey's in there as well um even uh, Ashley Johnson who plays Ellie in The Last of Us is in there as well um yeah just pretty much everybody uh the soundtrack is awesome like each episode um kind of opens with a kind of very cinematic uh opening scene cut to uh a different song and i think each one of them works really well in different ways um it's the first one i remember of all the telltale games that uses a significant amount of licensed music um and it actually does so very very well um, yeah, I really like that game, and um, I would. Uh, it's probably not that expensive anymore because it's like the last episode of that probably released about a year, maybe a little more ago. So I can't imagine it's that expensive to pick up all five episodes of it, and you'll probably beat it in eight hours, maybe. Um, also, uh, for anybody that goes to play it, uh, please uh, keep an eye out for the the final episode where it goes full Power Rangers, and I will say no more. Um, so that's kind of all the games we've been playing this week. Uh, shall we move on to the news, gentlemen? Yes. Excellent. The news. <laughs> news on the mark. <laughs> I, I just love, because Dave, normally me and you have got back and forth i just love waiting for what mark's response to your uh... <laughs> there's there's definitely a super cut to be made of me throwing to mark and there being an awkward two second silence before he realizes that i've i've passed the baton i like to think that he's holding a mirror up to his face and just looking deep into his own eyes <laughs> hell i'm deeply professional here um but which is code for his pants are off as well yeah. um so Absolutely. in in the news this week or in in, in recent weeks should we say because it's been a while um, more leaks from uh, Nintendo about what the NX is going to be and it is so far like Mark wrote in the show notes here that the NX is basically what we thought the Wii U is going to be it is also pretty much what we thought all along the NX was going to be uh, like all pretty much every rumour we heard about it uh from the original leaker on Reddit or Neo, no, it was NeoGaf. The original leaker on NeoGaf. Uh, pretty much all of it uh, has come true here. Um, Nintendo's. This is from uh, Eurogamer. Nintendo's upcoming NX will be a portable handheld console with detachable controllers. A number of sources have confirmed to Eurogamer. On the move, NX will function as a high-powered handheld console with its own display. So far, so normal. But here's a twist: we've seen, uh, we've heard the screen is bookended by two controller sections on either side, which can be attached or detached as required. Then, when you get home, the system can connect to your TV for gaming on the big screen. A base unit or dock station is used to connect the brain of the NX within the controller to the display on your TV. What do we think of... Uh, and the other key feature of this um, that I think a lot of people thought, right, okay, this must be the crazy one that can't be the case. But it seems to be the case that Nintendo NX will be powered by cartridges as opposed to uh, discs. 
what do we think of what it seems to be now confirmed about the Nintendo NX? Uh, I'll throw to you first, Mark. Get ready to answer. I've got an answer for this, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I, I find it hilarious, as I always do, um, when the piss babies come out saying, well, Nintendo are fucked. They've got no way of competing with PlayStation and uh, Microsoft. And I'm like, they haven't been competing with those two for some time now. They haven't been trying to either. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm sure I'm sure in an ideal world, they'd love uh, more or indeed any at all third party support. But at the well, same I th- time, I don't think they're going to go, you see that PS4 sales figure? We're going to better that. Well, I mean, as long as... Um this device is done in a way where it can be treated as just like a normal games console even if it's not like quote unquote a normal games console as long as it, it doesn't have to have all of this motion touched uh, capabilities and the, the touch screen with the Wii U then uh, or nothing that it doesn't have to be used at least then I can see third party support coming back because they don't have to kind of wire in all this extra shit that they weren't like preparing for like this is why you know you didn't get as many ports on the Wii U for games that were on other consoles partly because of like graphical uh, issues maybe but just mainly because just they didn't have to want to implement a touchscreen feature as well um I, I like it I you know obviously when we get from Nintendo the actual conference or the the press release where they say okay this is what it is this is what it looks like then we'll kind of really double down on our faults but it is pretty much as you said it is pretty much what i thought it was going to be and i like what it looks like um you know breath of the wild as we've been seeing it um i would presume has been a pc build not what's actually been to what's going to be on the nx well uh, the one that uh people were playing at e3 was uh the wii u build that was the wii u build okay so i mean that still looks very nice as well um that's the, that's the thing like it, it, it just to it's not to, sorry to interrupt you for a second anyway. one of the things that's been annoying me is that like people going oh well it's not as it's it's not quite as powerful as uh the xbox one i will bear in mind with people that the wii u is not even close to as powerful as the xbox one and goddamn, there are some beautiful looking games available on the wii u you know what I mean? Like, Nintendo, in terms of the level to which they can get blood from a stone, it's uh, borderline miraculous. Well, I mean, considering they were pretty much still using the, the GameCube uh, engine or the, kind of what was in there to power for the Wii as well and some of the stuff. I mean, Super Mario Galaxy was one of the best-looking games uh, of that generation. Um, but it's just because Nintendo now know how to make a game within the limitations of what's put in front of them and sometimes that's the best way to make a game is to be put under these limitations so you're more creative and not just kind of front end all the graphics but it's another conversation for another day I think it looks really cool um, obviously we'll, we'll wait and see more when it gets like properly announced is this uh, a pre-order for you? not necessarily but that's for other means yeah. <laughs> not necessarily well, like in an ideal world where uh, the where where you have the money to put down on this console obviously we don't know a price point or anything like that would this be something you would be interested in picking up once it comes out well look I'm, I'm going to play the Zelda game I mean there, there there's a possibility that uh, and we were saying about this earlier if nothing else nothing else of any kind of significance is announced for the the NX I might hold off if there's a couple of launch games. I mean, in an ideal world, 
wider world. Um, if we got obviously the Zelda game we can't launch if we got maybe even just like an F-Zero game or something of that we're nature not... Mark give up the dream we're not getting yeah, an F-Zero I game I know but no for you're, me, you're the... starting to be one of those people that's like well, we need another Metroid <laughs> it's like no Nintendo are going to keep trolling you no what what they do need to do though is they need to really tie in their whole network into one God, I'm going to start sounding like a kind of corporate spokesperson, but they need to kind of synergize their brands yeah. and get it all under one um, network like, uh, and all that bollocks. Which, it's funny, like, because obviously with the existence of the Miiverse, Nintendo are very much aware that gaming is much more of a social experience than it traditionally has been. People enjoy sharing their impressions of games in some sort of community. People enjoy achievements, trophies, all that sort of thing. So obviously with the existence of the Miiverse, they know that's a thing. But boy, have they been missing the target by a mile uh, to this point. And I think, yeah, if, if they can establish something similar to like a PSN where you can, you can add your friends, it becomes convenient to play online with or chat online with your friends, post uh, trophy or achievement or whatever you want to call it, that sort of stuff. I think that's something that's very important for them to nail so that they don't appear in any way left behind by the current console generation. Yeah, I mean, as we've said, though, Nintendo are so far off because a lot of people want to make the comparison of Nintendo now to where Sega were in the late 90s. And I've said on a previous uh, podcast that that's just not the case at all. Sega's position they were in and where Nintendo are uh, are two totally different fucking places. Um, And... Uh, yeah, I, it, it's hard to say any more than what we've kind of said now at the moment until we get some more information and kind of just see what else um, might be there come come the launch. But, you know, we're only in uh, the beginning of August now. So, and this thing's not scheduled until March. So, yeah, I, I'd say kind of like towards the um, or the beginning of the kind of quarter four, we'll, we'll really get an idea of what actually this thing is going to be. Jack, uh, your, your thoughts on this whole... Um nx what what it's going to be in terms of both a handheld and a home console is that something you're into what are your whole impressions or where is your excitement level at or not at for this console it's difficult to say because it so much of what it is at the moment seems to be conceptual and there's not a lot that's really kind of based in reality so i don't know if i'd say i had a high excitement level but I'm not too sure about the um, how the hybrid handheld console actual thing is going to work because as, as you've um, said, everyone kind of thought that's what the Wii U was going to be and then it wasn't. And I don't think anyone ever really fully got the Wii U gimmick particularly and it hasn't done great, has it? I mean, that they really do have a sort of drained well now of intellectual properties where they just have their core things that they're trading off and they're not really with the exception of maybe Splatoon they're not really in reinventing the wheel and bringing anything interesting to the party they've just like look guys we've got these five or six things that we can trade on but i wonder how long nintendo can keep going back there with those things and those things are still successful uh and whether or not the nintendo realizes that maybe the console market they're trying to be something original in it which i think is commendable but 
if going back to cartridges is the way of doing it and making a console which is essentially just a slightly evolved version of the thing that you've previously made i do kind of worry about their direction and i think do they accept at some point that they're not really in the same bracket as sony and xbox and just try and think about other ways that they can keep their brand alive and trade off what they do have and maybe get instead of handheld they get into maybe the mobile gaming market a little bit more well i mean that is part of their uh, strategy going forward they've got i think they said like five or six projects for mobile that they're working on one of them being animal crossing um and obviously we've seen you know how pokemon go has turned out um so you know they are thinking differently in certain areas but like even as far back as well as far back as the wii you know they've clearly been on a different path from microsoft and, and sony and it's at this point like you have to be fairly maybe to say uneducated or just ignorant of the fact if you say that oh you know oh nintendo are way behind they're not behind microsoft and sony they're just they're going in a different direction um but a lot of people just and it's kind of you can go back as far back as like nintendo and sega in the early 90s where everyone was talking about 8 bits and 16 bits and 32 bits it's like now where everything is well it needs to be 60 uh, frames a second and in 1080p where nintendo were like well yeah that's great and all but we can go over here and do this and do something different and not all of it works i think that's fair to say that um the wii u hasn't been a resounding success even though i might argue it's probably had like three or four of the best games of this generation so far um and that's what they'll kind of continue to do um you know i'll be the first to kind of say when they don't hit a home run um which i don't think the wii u is overall but like when they kind of first announced the nx was coming i was in that mindset of like uh, it seems a bit early to be announcing this what's going on here but you know as, as the information's kind of trickling through and with what we've seen now it's like uh, no I, I i think this could work but obviously we have to wait and see absolutely it's um it's certainly um a very interesting story that just keeps getting uh, more interesting as it develops but uh according Speaking of that according to the leaks anyway that it seems like we're probably getting the nintendo direct that will announce the nx formally uh, in september so we mightn't have much longer to wait to actually see that thing Good. um so that should be a time but until then back to pokemon go <laughs> it feels like we have barely stopped talking about it and here we are again pokemon go uh, some of the the financials behind it it very quickly by july 14th had become the biggest game in the history of the u.s mobile market it added something to the effect of uh it, it doubled the value of nintendo within a couple of weeks um it, it it did crazy numbers in terms of making um nintendo as a company uh relevant and important both in the mobile game space and being the the talking point of gaming in general for several weeks um it's it's been quite incredible to see and uh it also what has been quite incredible to see the kind of other side of that is uh a couple of weeks since that has happened now uh, investors have started to realize that nintendo actually didn't make the game at all so their shares have started to go back down again good times um your your thoughts mark on uh the absolute uh wall street explosion that uh pokemon go has caused 
uh, I mean, you're more inclined with the economics of this sort of thing. Um, I'm more fascinated by the kind of the cultural impact it's had. Yeah. Um, the, the the kind of like to keep it current, I guess the the big story now is with the the latest patch that's come out today. Um, that has seen a, a couple of changes that are not you know many people particularly thrilled about. Um, there's the free step glitch, which has now been removed, which has left players now really in the dark for those that and you know you were talking about earlier where you've been in in certain places in Ireland where there's just basically nothing around um and now you're really left in the dark in finding anything at all and you know there's a lot of people there was a really good article by a guy i quote a lot in here mark brown uh who was saying that you know the the trailers they had for pokemon go had people wandering around and exploring um like around climbing trees and whatnot to find these pokemon and that's not really the case at all because the further you go into like parks and and or areas that are not you know in built-up urban areas there's nothing there other than your rattuses and pidgeys um and that's something that uh they really need to look into and and really try and fix um they've also changed they've uh, they've taken off like the 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 uh phone battery saving feature or whatever it is uh so now like you know just it was a game that was draining your phones before and now it's going to be even worse so now it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how this affects the the stock market for for the next week or so because um well it's been a lot of negative a lot of negative stuff has been said today yeah so like even if you look at there's a, there's a line graph here in an article from kotaku about how fans of pokemon go were starting to turn on it and uh, between the 24th of july and the 31st um, you have uh, on the 24th the game was rated uh, the average rating was about 3.5 and that has dipped down to uh, 2.8 uh, in a week so it seems like it, but it, it's kind of um, it's, it's, it's like with anything where eventually the backlash is going to start against it oh yeah of course um, and people are going to find like the, there's obviously going to be the, the moment when it came out where everybody was all about the like just just wowed by you know this game actually exists and stuff like that then there's people who actually stop and think about it and go well it's not really like the most detailed of games and then there's there's always the concern when you go in and you try to fix things that people aren't necessarily like you know the game wasn't necessarily it was broken in some ways but people were still loving it and the more you try to go in and fix it the worse you could make it we've seen it countless times with different games like the one that really sticks out to me um in the last couple of years is metal gear solid 5 which uh, was an absolute masterpiece as far as I was concerned when it came out, and pretty much every update Konami did to it since has broken it more. Um, but, yeah, it's... I, I, I don't necessarily know where... What, what's going to... What the next step is. Do, do kind of ratings and opinions keep crashing? Is it going to force them to rush out the trading uh, and some of the other features they're thinking about? Um, it's been... It, interesting to see that like you said I'm, I'm i'm kind of fascinated by the economic side of things um and the idea like the the markets are run on investor confidence and obviously when this game came out and it was a smash hit it was and it was setting all sorts of records obviously investors are going to flock to nintendo it brought the company's valuation up and to me that was the moment to try and parlay the success the press and attention that pokemon and nintendo were getting into oh by the way guys we have new Pokemon games coming out in November. 
you know, try to do something. Maybe like you could, as part of, I know they're talking about like having special events as time goes on with the legendary Pokemon and some other exceptionally rare Pokemon. Um, you know, it would have been a good time to announce as part of the like the, the run up to the new Pokemon games some sort of publicity stunt that ties in with that. I will while, say, while the eyes of the world are still thoroughly on it, I I really think it would be a stretch to imagine that the success of Pokemon Go will correlate that much onto the new Pokemon games. It will have some effects. Yeah, but but the thing, but the thing is, like Mark, even if it's not going to have a huge effect, there's still literally no excuse for them not to try. Oh, of course, yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? You have literally the gaming world and even the wider tech world all up in your business. You have, like Jack was saying earlier on the show, you have local businesses that have generally nothing to do with gaming advertising Pokemon lures. You know, that you could, you should come in and have a pint. We have lures here. You'll catch uh, rare Pokemon while you're sitting in our pub paying for our pints. It has become that sort of, like, it has that uh, kind of appeal that Nintendo periodically strike upon where it has crossed into the casual gaming market. It True, is... but at the same time, do you remember that neither of these two entities here are actually directly controlled by Nintendo, so... No, but at, at the same time, it is... like I think Nintendo still own, like, a fair percentage of Niantic, and obviously um, the Pokemon Company are involved as well, that it wouldn't have been uh, too much of an issue to have come up with some sort of strategy that like i said parlays the attention that game is getting into a much more like tangible success for nintendo with kind perhaps of... but i mean i i'm just looking like, at, like I said, depending a... on what their business plan is for say three months six months nine months as we said and as everyone else has probably presumed no one knew just how like quickly and how big pokemon go is going to blow up so like look i they may that's, have had that said plan. i i think they would have known that it was going to be big like obviously not this big but like still to me like just as just someone who follows like businesses and economics and things like that it is kind of silly that this wasn't that this doesn't seem to have been considered oh yeah no i well, maybe it has. I don't know. I'm not arguing with you that they should have done something, but I'm at l- I'm at least trying to kind of see there may have been reasoning behind it. At the same time, as I was talking about earlier with Nintendo, they don't always get it right, so you, you probably are right. Yeah. Um, oh. Go on, Jack. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, it's difficult to jump in edgeways so you guys are flying. My apologies. Um, no, it's all right. Um, I, I just find it kind of strange because I know you mentioned the kind of community backlash, but there was a couple of websites on the one called PokerVision, which was probably the most popular one, where they were basically using the game's API data to figure out where Pokemon were going to spawn and stuff like that. Uh, and the latest update has put an end to that. And I kind of think that that's just a bit mean-spirited. And... I was watching, uh, I don't know if you saw it, Dave. I know you're a fan of Chris Hardwick, but Chris Hardwick did a, a Comic-Con panel with uh, John Hankey, the guy who created Niantic, and he is basically vision for the game. And he kind of seemed very cl- closed off and not incredibly open to suggestion. And like he, he seems like a sort of a, a, an artist rather than somebody who is going to be sitting there and be the public face of something. And he just looked very overwhelmed and he didn't really know kind of how to conduct himself in, in, in the wake of all this attention. And I feel like I'm not sure where the line ends between if you have a product 
and it's doing really well and you you make a change or you 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 posit to make a change and it alienates your community do you then try and win them back do you listen to them and do you adapt your game for what the community is telling you they want or do you go very much with like no this is my vision you know this is my game this is my piece of art and i want it to be in this particular way and i just i wonder if you have like any examples obviously the metal gear solid 5 example of konami trying over and over again to try and correct something and then just getting it wrong but are there any examples in modern gaming that either of you two can come up with where the community has very much shaped the um sh- uh, the way the game is going forward and, and it's been a positive influence um i think we're starting to see a lot more of that with this console generation like one of the big features or uh, one of the big selling points of some games that are coming to current gen consoles is that finally on consoles we're going to have mod support for some things um and i think uh, definitely on the pc side of things um the gaming community uh, as a wider pool have been responsible for uh, improving or or maybe even sustaining interest in a game as the years wear on um so we're kind of like we're we're in sort of new territory with that regard uh, in consoles. I can't think of a, a specific example of uh, anything else other than that, Mark. Can you? Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, like the tracking thing. I just that does feel very mean spirited to me. Yeah, like... that's that's kind of like, and we say Nintendo aren't very hands on, but that's a very Nintendo move. Like that is the you know that 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 is very much in the same kind of echelon as uh, Nintendo. Uh, stopping people from earning uh from getting monetization on videos that feature footage of nintendo games on youtube Um, i think it's quite backwards because yeah i mean if you play a pokemon game if you go on the internet you can type in whatever town you're at and a bulbapedia page comes up and it will tell you which pokemon you can get in the in the routes around it or you know, there's even in-game tracker things that you get, like Poker Radar in particular games where you can tell what Pokemon are going to come up. Like with the legendary uh, dogs, you can track them. You can track Latios and Latios in other games. So there has been that element of tracking, which have been incorporated into the games before. And the feet away from bug thing that happened, when you had the feet originally that made the game really fun because if you could see something was one foot away from you you're gonna walk around in every direction you know 100 feet or whatever it was until you find it it's how i found the dragon air i would never have found it if that didn't work and from that to have gone from broken to now just completely unsupported and the shutdown of the trackers at the same time it yeah. takes a huge element of fun out of it. Yeah, and, 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 that, I, and that's the thing as well, is that, like, it, it's one thing if you kind of, if you stop the the, the, the tracker from being able to work, like the, the other websites that are doing tracking and things like that, if you are positing an alternative within the game to that, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I understand a developer or company going, hold on, fuckers aren't doing this independently of us, we're bringing this kind of mechanic in-house to our game. I can totally get that sort of reasoning, but to kind of, uh, to get rid of the trackers and to, like you said, remove the support for like the, the, um, the, the footsteps around, um, it makes zero sense to me. Yeah. And I just wonder if they've got, as you say, the world in the palm of their hands is now a real good time to be alienating those people. Cause it doesn't feel like it. It, it feels like 
if there's been a backlash like today even john hankey's twitter was hacked by somebody because there's no pokemon go in brazil yet uh and and they decided it was a good idea like and i don't condone that but there is you know they 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 have everyone's attention so just you you think they have to kind of play along not 100% but just a little bit more than they are doing and it's... the more if they can't alienate too many people because they are the most successful thing that there ever has been at the moment they've gone a step forward here and then about five steps back that's true. yeah essentially but you can't see how many steps back they've gone because they've removed the support for it Yay. <laughs> next news story and would you believe it's pokemon again mark <laughs> there are new pokemon yeah this is uh, they're doing like a drip feed of uh, the different pokemon and like on the last which show... by the way is a, a cool strategy i think yeah yeah uh on the last show um i was just giving out to brian because the designs were uh, appalling for some of the new ones was there that metal box one it looked like a metal box with teeth pretty much it looked like something you would find on a desk in albus dumbledore's office (laughs) the 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 high or the 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 low ebb for me of pokemon design is still i can't get my head around still um hone edge the sword pokemon that evolves into two swords uh trubbish is probably the one for me trubbish is pretty bad because Trubbish sounds like something that um, Matt and Trey would have come up for when they were doing the Chin Pokemon episode yeah. of South yeah. Park all those years ago. But, but the Pokemon... uh, like, so there are people who, as well, will argue that like a, a, a couple, a, a couple of the original 150 are kind of dumb in retrospect as well. There's always going to be a couple of dumb ones that people don't like going along. But you know, either way, we have seen some of the new designs that have come out today. Clefki uh... as well, mother of fucking god. Yeah, I hear you on that. Yeah. What's the ice cream one as well? That one sucks also. Uh, what the fuck's that called? Uh, you keep talking, Mark. I'll find Yeah, that. that's fine. Um, we've got a couple of adaptations. So we've got Aloli, whatever the fuck the place is. Uh, Alola. Alola, that's it. Regional uh, versions of some of the Gen 1 Pokemon. So we've got now ice-themed uh, versions of Vulpix and Ninetales and Sandslash <laughs> the... and Sandshrew. Sorry to interrupt you, Mark. The... Uh, the... <laughs> you're out there Dave actually no because apparently there's evolutions of it so you keep talking I've got to go figure this one out okay um, Good God. so there's uh, an Alola form of Executor which is just fucking incredible and again the, the meme game has already been strong on this fucking thing have you seen uh, the Alola form of Executor over you two I have yes. I, I, I looked it up it's, it's, it's hilarious it's fucking I s- incredible I saw um one of my favorite memes earlier was it was a history of the world's tallest buildings and it was like you know empire state building all the way through to like the burj khalifa and then next to it was executor 2016 yeah just being the tallest long neck scariest thing you've there's, ever seen uh, there's someone who's drawn like a sketch of someone playing the the new pokemon on their 3ds um and like on the the kind of top screen you've got like the battle of the pokemon uh, where they're fighting um but like you can only see like the necks of the executor and then you come all the way down onto the actual touch screen and like the rest of their bodies there uh which i appreciate and then there's also a pokemon that looks like donald trump so yeah <laughs> um just to update you <laughs> there are three ice cream pokemon um there oh, right. is yeah. Vanillite, <laughs> okay, which is the tiny one scoop of ice cream in one tiny cone Pokemon. Then it evolves at level 35 into Vanillish. 
uh-huh. which is a normal sized one scoop cone, and then Vanillux at level forty seven, which is two scoops. Excellent. And oh. and and it's angry about it. I, I think it should have gone one scoop, two scoop, three scoops. It should have gone like vanilla, vanilla chocolate, was and, like, then, or, and then the four Neapolitan vanilla chocolate strawberry. I was thinking, even if the first one is just like, you know, one of the ones in the tiny little bowls with a, with a tiny spoon stuck out of it. Yeah, and like a really disappointing cherry on top. Yeah, and then, you know, the second one is just, you know, one scoop in a in a cone, and then the, 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 the other one is two scoops with a flake in it. Yeah, or like, you know, like one of those bitchin' TFI Friday Sundays that's like a frickin' fishbowl full of ice cream. That's like the ultimate version. Hey, Jack, let's go, let's go for ice cream sometime. Yeah, let's do it. Just to quickly bring it back to that executor, do you know as well that fucking thing's a dragon type? <laughs> yeah, I saw. <laughs> I did not know that. Someone put, it next to, someone put it next to Charizard and it was like world's greatest dragons. <laughs> yeah, but the thing as well, because Charizard is only a dragon type when it's like in its mega evolved form as well. So like technically, Yekitor is more of a dragon than fucking Charizard. I'm, I'm getting uh, an amazing mashup t-shirt that I can see QWERTY doing down the line of uh, the mother of dragons. And it's uh, <laughs> it's Daenerys Targaryen with a Charizard, a Dragonite, and a dumb-looking Executor. Uh, oh, and finally, as well, they've introduced the, these things called Z moves, which uh, no way has been influenced by Dragon Ball Z. Uh, it's this special move that you can do once per battle, and it seems to be like a kind of uber-powered move. Um, I'm not sure how they work exactly because uh, whether it's like with the Mega Evolve forms where it, the Pokemon has to be holding like the Mega Stone I don't know whether it would be something like that so it's kind of like you have this powerful move but you're limited in terms of what other items you can hold um, we'll kind of see more about that I guess uh, down the line um, but yeah no it, it, obviously with each pro- Pokemon game they add a few features like a lot of people say oh they're exactly the, the, the new games are exactly the same as the old ones in some ways yes but they do add new features to each one it's kind of like the Tony Hawk series where everyone says oh it's just the same games each time it's like well kind of the core concept is but they do add new features um, and yeah like the, this new round of new Pokemon they've introduced they've clearly just gone fuck it just, just go crazy uh, but they've gone crazy in a way where like it's a fun kind of crazy and not a fucking trash bag for a Pokemon kind of crazy. I, I hope that Pokemon never make their Tony Hawks five though. <laughs> <laughs> can, uh, can, I, can I just say, by the way, the idea that uh, Pikachu's Z move is called Gigavolt Havoc. Yeah. Is <laughs> just, oh that my God. Sounds like the finisher of a Japanese wrestler in a mask. <laughs> David, there's oh. a mini Nez. There's a mini Nez. I've already pre-ordered. Yeah. Not even ashamed. Not one yeah, little but, bit. Well, but kind of like, is it just for the um, lols, as it were? Is it just for the nostalgia value that I that I'm getting it, or that anyone is? Um. Well, both, I guess. <laughs> well, my before I kind of get into what this is, uh, my whole take on it is that I never owned an NES. Um, I, so I've never kind of used that controller to play those games or anything like that and there is an awful lot of really good games on it that uh, I wouldn't mind just having this nice little palm sized thing that just slots underneath my TV have a bit of fun it is not the most uh, bank breakingly expensive uh, console I will ever buy so yeah do you know it kind of reminds me if you know they used to advertise those things on TV where it's like 
400 games in yeah, one yeah. you plug it back into the tv it's kind of yeah, like that. except yeah. it's fucking nintendo and like all the games are well and so so all the games there's a couple of naff ones on it i i've been um a little bit annoyed by some of the reaction to it where people have been going well it could have been this and it should have been that and it's like well it, it's not but what it is is still nothing that we were expecting yeah it's and... a nice it's a nice little surprise and by the way for like people who are complaining about it nintendo aren't pulling a gun to your head and saying you have to buy it well obviously um but like... <laughs> they absolutely are dave and that's yeah. why i'm mad because <laughs> i am the internet okay what, Neo it is, what it is for how much it is and for how much space it's not going to take up like it if is I, the size of a hand if i god forbid had a child at this sort of time and like oh, oh it's think, perfect uh it's like would oh, that oh, come oh. and live with you and dave as well <laughs> oh, yeah. it's like it's perfect um and yeah there's a couple of naff games on here but at the same time but you've also got like the first two zelda games the first three mario games Mega Man 2 uh metroid metroid right? and yeah. It, like yeah the, you cannot complain about the the content what's on here um i really like it yeah sure like you can make the argument that it, it should have something on there so you can like download more games but then it's then you're getting into the whole emulation piracy uh, side of things and it's just not even worth having a conversation jim sterling's got a really good video up actually at the moment about that um i like it what it is um sure they may go fucking crazy and then release like another four nintendos uh or these mini nezes with other games um and then at some point we'll get the, the mini snezes and the mini n64s whatever i think it's a cool little thing it's gonna make him some money i'm all fine with it yeah i just think that it's not to be taken too seriously because but everything the only... has to be taken seriously with video games no but it doesn't Jack, the only taking reason... our video games away <laughs> you know this this is to me is like you know, when a, a band used to bring like an album out on a CD or, or probably vinyl now they've even gone back to, there's like the regular version and then there's like the different version, whether it's like a digipack or it's like colored disc or like, you know, gatefold or something. And this is kind of the equivalent of that. This is Nintendo going, well, you could get all these games really easily on the internet if you decide to download them or you could have this really cool limited edition thing yeah uh that everyone can come and play which i kind of like and and, uh, and and you know if you're someone who's into collecting like the the nerdy ephemera it looks good on a shelf and sure you could emulate these games but it's kind of nice that you have a, a like a medium to enjoy them in like nintendo i'd imagine maybe are kind of cottoning on to the fact that people do really want to play their old games the reason people emulate games in my view is you know it's it's the the original napster argument is like if there is a really easy way to obtain all these things and play all these things that people can do and that nintendo can monetize i genuinely believe that people including me would therefore just go and pay the money for it but the fact that that really it took them so long and they're kind of really it's awkward like if i go on and try and buy a game on like the 3ds and stuff like that i find it kind of unfriendly almost user unfriendly oh the, the virtual shop for the 3ds and the wii u and it, no, it's oh my wii god the 3ds oh is garbage no the, 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 wii, has... the wii the wii u one is kind of garbage as well the, the yeah. 3ds is still the worst because it's been here for yeah. longer and they've had longer to actually fix the problem. oh yeah oh look no 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 arguments there it's just <laughs> they're both hot trash yeah yeah so like to have this okay, it's a really easy way for me to own all these games in a nice little package. That's quite cool. 
It's what iTunes did. iTunes was like, right, Steve Jobs saw what Napster did, completely revolutionized the way music existed. And now there you go. Nintendo are kind of trying to come up with a way that maybe they can do a similar thing. There's no reason why Nintendo don't just get every single game that they have the rights to and just lump them onto something or lump them on a place where everybody can download and access them rather than someone going on an emulator website. It's like, right, well, if I can give Nintendo a fiver and I can have, like, the history of Metroid Prime uh, pre, say, GameCube, then I'm going to fucking do it that way because I can download it from, say, the App Store or something or on one of their platforms with not such a bastardy way to do it. It's just a, it's a genius thing if they can actually execute on that i think um i think what it comes down to at the end of the day is like how much value do you put on the the games in question and the device in question if you have a nostalgic view of the nes or you've always wanted to play these games or you have played these games and want them again and it, it is cheaper than to buy them all individually on the different platforms like the 3ds and the wii u that they're available for then it makes a lot of sense to you if you're someone who doesn't have the nostalgia who doesn't like playing old games who thinks old games are old and they should stay in the past then you're probably not going to see this as good value but for me who is kind of like i enjoy my gaming history i enjoy a lot of the games that are coming out on this thing $60 to me is almost a steal. Well, like, his, I put it like this. I spent, um, I think, two ninety nine on Downwell, and, and Downwell was an incredible game. Um, and I look at, like, most of the games that are on here, and there's more content on most of these games here than is on Downwell. And, like, for the... Um, if you break down 60, divide into the, the 30 games here, like, the, the value for money is there. Um, so, like anyone that's making that argument is just just factually incorrect. Yeah, and you get it in a nice little presentation box that looks like a NES. That's exactly. cool. That's that's why people love Nintendo. And also, it doesn't look any different because the games uh, like slot into the machine and then the truck came shut. It's going to be a bit weird if they try and do it with the SNES and there's no actual game kind of popping out of the SNES. But for the NES, it works. Yeah. Um... On to the next news story. There's a game coming out next week called No Man's Sky. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, no. What's it about? <laughs> what's it not about, Jack? That's that's the real question here. It's the only um, game you'll ever need again, apparently. There if, is a man... If, if there are no men, why do they need a sky? <laughs> there is a man on the Reddits who bought a a street date broken copy of the game on eBay for... Uh, $1,250. I'm actually amazed it only went for that. Like, when I first saw that, I went, well, that's stupid. And then I really sat back and I was like, no, I'm actually surprised that it didn't go for a hell of a lot more. So I'm not going to read heavily into spoilers here because this guy, what he went and did was he documented through a series of videos and Reddit posts uh, his experience throughout No Man's Sky. But the cliff notes of this are basically some of the things we've already said on uh, on the game uh, with regards that the people who are going to be disappointed uh, by this game are the ones who think this is, as we jokingly refer to it on the podcast sometimes, the last game you'll ever need. Or people who think it's going to be a hundred thousand different things thrown at you all at the same time. Whereas I have always taken the view in my kind of managing expectations for the game that I, I, I've called it before Space Minecraft. And what I mean by that is not that it has the same building mechanics or anything like that but as Minecraft. But in as much as 
Minecraft is the game you get out of Minecraft what you put into it if you understand what I mean like you go into Minecraft you give yourself a project today like uh, you are going to build this like for instance myself and Ben who have a shared world in Minecraft we went in one time and we decided right today we are going to build a giant skull shaped fortress that cries lava and we did that and we had great fun doing it and that was our project the game never uh, like out and out told us that that was what we had to do we gave ourselves a project and we did that and that kind of seems to be from this guy Damien he's called uh, that seems to be what this game is like you kind of you can explore you can spend lifetimes going around trying to explore every single planet you can uh, be a hostile force or an Attenborough and go around exploring uh, you can go trading you can become wealthy that way and upgrade your ship and all that sort of stuff or you can make a beeline for the center of the universe which uh, like some people have said like Damien he got to the center of the universe and quote-unquote beat the game or at least beat the critical path for whatever story exists in it as of now and he clocked it at about 30 hours which is around the kind of low ball estimate that Sean Murray from Hello Games gave I think he once before said anywhere between 30 and 100 hours he said it would take to get to the center of the universe um my whole thing on it is that uh, I have been pretty much aware like we, we've known about this game for over three years now and pretty much the entire time the messaging has gotten through to me that whereas in terms of whatever story is going on yes you'll probably in a finite amount of time be able to get to the center of the universe and beat that part of the game but that's not what the game is about sort of and i mean that in a very artsy fartsy sort of way you know the idea that like the journey is what it's about and the kind of the journey is what you make of it that i can go around dot around planets or i could make a direct beeline as quickly as i possibly could for the center of the universe um what what are your guys thoughts on uh this this guy and his posts about it bear in mind that we don't really want to he posted videos which i didn't watch because i don't want it spoiled on me and uh, sean murray has come out uh and like other people from Noma, uh hello games and said look you've waited I, I kind of understand their point of view kind of pleading with people going look you've waited this long for the game don't let one guy's playthrough on youtube color your image of the game just before it comes out like it's only a week we have to wait now at this stage um so like what are, what are your guys impressions of some of the things you've been hearing about this guy and his experience with the game um i don't really know because like i like you have tempered my expectations um because i'm a rational thinking human being and because yeah. i stay off of reddit as much as i can so like some of the things he's been saying and documenting is all stuff that I was expecting. Yeah, no, um, nothing has really surprised me here. Like he he has noted some bugs and things like that, but like game, unfortunately, no game really comes out without bugs. Well, yeah, it, I mean, like in fucking twenty sixteen, that's just yeah. how it's going to be. Um, I'm I'm at the point now where I don't actually have much interest in playing the game, and that's nothing to do with hello games or sean or anything like that it's mainly because i want to spend more time just reading the reactions to it from the the the, the crazy people and the piss babies <laughs> that's where my entertainment for this game is going to come from because there's no way there's no fucking way that this game is going to come out and a significant portion of those people are, are not going to be disappointed no well this is hey like the... mark what's a piss baby <laughs> 
I, I'll type it into Urban Dictionary and I'll send you the link. <laughs> this is like this is the thing though. In 2016, in the kind of cynical age we live in, um, people are very quick to try and tear something down or find the negatives in it rather than just ex- enjoy the experience in isolation. People are very quick to go on the Reddit or the NeoGas and things like that and kind of um, let other people's experiences color them or you know pick up uh, a spare pitchfork or torch and start trying to burn down the house. Um, I, there was actually a great line from one of the um, I think it was the DNC last week in a completely unrelated thing that, that there was there was a line that we've become culturally addicted to outrage which has really like over the last week repeatedly resonated with me as a kind of a thing that yeah like we kind of have like everyone's quick to tear things down rather than find the positive in it like I'm st- I'm still quite excited for this game and I think part of it is because at no point did I think this game was going to be anything other than what it seems to be and I'm quite happy with that you know like what he's saying about the game still feels like a game I really want to play and whereas Mark like you said you're going to revel in looking at the reddits and the neogas what I'm going to revel in is next Tuesday or next Monday night at midnight this game releases and I can close down my laptop, I can put in my headphones, and I can play this game finally. You know? Yeah. And, like, I just... I don't know. I, I think that uh, gaming Twitter and gaming internet in general is going to be a very unpleasant place to be for the next little while over this game. Uh, it is going to be, like, not quite in terms of the bile but it is going to be comparable in terms of how much of a shitstorm of negativity is to what happened with Ghostbusters coming out I don't get where all of this insane negativity is coming from about this game though how can you prejudge something that you have yet to play but yeah this is the thing welcome to the gaming community at large but no that's that's welcome to the internet at large mark because like i said like i drew comparisons to ghostbusters like there was a thing i i shared around on facebook at the time like i don't want to get too far off the point but like when the reviews started coming out about ghostbusters and people and actual proper critics were like actually do you know what it's pretty good uh there was a legitimate reddit thread on the, the ghostbusters subreddit which is which was like okay guys the reviews are coming in and they're positive how do we spin this so that we can make sure the movie tanks because it's definitely terrible that's oh. just that's just the world we live in now and it's 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 like it's dreadful um you know it's it's hard to play any game or enjoy or consume any piece of media now without hearing some sort of negativity around it and feeling some sort of guilt from those people that you enjoy it you know what did people used to do before they had the internet? Like, how did people spread their bile and negativity towards things? Did people just have, like, suffering, like, wives or husbands that they're just moaning to constantly? Like, oh, my Space Invaders experience was crap today because the Invaders invaded me. I hate this game. It's rubbish. Yeah, and then they all voted for Brexit. <laughs> um, I, look... <sighs> Those people are. I feel we've got a little bit of topic here. At the they, end, they, they are. It is worth saying. As no, well. like, we're very much on topic. This isn't, this isn't to bury. This is to... more. The game at the moment is more about the mythos yeah. rather than the actual game. Yeah, and like the the substance of the actual game, like that game could have come out and to borrow a phrase from uh, Yahtzee, could have cured three types of cancer, and people would still think it's a it's bullshit. <laughs> 
people will still find something to take down about it like it can never it is it will be no matter how good it is a victim of its own hype the only game i can think of that was hyped up to the nines that somehow managed to escape being taken down by people in the last few years is gta 5 gta 5 but i think that rides such a juggernaut of hype that i think it works in the opposite way where that people are actually afraid to not say that GTA 5 is good because I I know that like um, amongst my friends I didn't like GTA 4 really at all when it came out and I was uh, felt I, I was made feel very unwelcome for having that opinion at the time um, I almost want to dive into why, but we probably don't have time. <laughs> hey, look, we can we can we can do that uh, post show or before yeah. before we we'll we'll another yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you, you know what I mean. Like it's um. Here's here's the thing with with No Man's Sky. I'm going to on the day it comes out. I'm going to read some of the reviews and then I'm going to block all mentions of No Man's Sky for like well, at well, least. What you should a... do is you, you should sit beside me as I do my launch stream for it and then read some reactions and yeah. see how distorted one is from the other. Sure. I'll be on there flaming both of you. <laughs> um, our final news story of this week, Sonic. Um, he's back. By, by Sonic, yeah. do you mean Pokemon Go? Or... No, I, I, I wish. Um, so oh, right. Sonic okay. around Comic Con, Sonic had um, a an absolute waking nightmare of a 25th <laughs> anniversary stream. Je- I've seen clips oh, from this. Oh my god. Um, Jim Sterling has done the world a favour and I actually might put it in the show description of putting together a super cut of the 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 celebrations which include the um, what is it Crush 40 the, who are the, the, the Japanese American band who uh, do a lot of the the soundtracks for the modern Sonic games. Are, doing are they it- the guys who were like I saw a, a video and it was like maybe 30 seconds long and they were playing a song which i can only assume is about sonic and like hand in the microphone out yes in the crowd yes like it was fucking like the who or something and wanted they, people to one, sing along to yeah, my generation one person doesn't know the words and then they go to the next person who sings it in nothing even approaching the key it is being sung in yeah and... they just shout at the top of their voice yeah. whatever the words are and... and like there was audio issues throughout which I'm sure as a, a man uh, the resident audio expert Jack I'm sure that uh, pr- would drive you up the walls insane uh, like audio completely cutting out getting wildly distorted uh my particular favorite being when the audio cut out uh literally as something was being announced uh and also the moment where the (laughs) the stream kind of went into like a weird kind of noise followed by some silence and then the guy from crush 40 going you hear that that's the sound of 25 years of sonic uh and to which the internet was kind of like yeah pretty much is um, yeah, but somebody. The reason I saw it is somebody just posted on Twitter that I know just this is the dawn of the end of humanity and just put is. that clip. And I had no context for it <laughs> whatsoever. fucking ever. And I'm like, what? Well, I have to click this because I want to know what what's going to end this world. And I watched it and I immediately understood. And yeah, I've since gone on YouTube and, and seen other bits and pieces from it. And just like. I mean, are they fucking serious? Like, did, <laughs> you, you do wonder sometimes. It was a perfect like metaphor for describing 25 years of Sonic. 
Yeah. Yeah, but isn't there a better way of doing it, of celebrating Sonic? No, than... no, it was the best way. It, it was, was the most. The it was the most fateful way. <laughs> um, well, but I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll... out out of the ashes of the towering garbage fire, Mark, may come some hope. Please talk to me. Yeah, so uh, if you, I don't know if either of you two have played um, any of the, the the mobile Sonic ports that have come out over the last couple of years with no. Sonic CD, Sonic One, or Sonic Two. No, I haven't played any of the mobile ports. Not no, Jack. No. Okay. Fuck that hedgehog. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, first it came with uh, Sonic CD was uh, ported, which some argue is the the best two D Sonic game. Um, and was very hard for people to play because obviously it was on the Sega CD, which no one but idiots owned at the time um a guy came along uh, oh, that's just... just the sound of me hitting my sega cd <laughs> <laughs> uh, a guy came along and he uh, basically just did like a rom hack of uh sonic cd he just kind of took all of the kind of main assets of the game and uh built the engine up from scratch and just did it himself uh and it was so good that sega went yeah sure fuck it go for it you know put that on mobile and, and release it and we'll make a load of money from it um then so, so sega came along and made uh, sonic episode 4 which was an absolute waking garbage fire uh, in a number of different ways um and so we've had this kind of progression come along where you know we've had the really really bad 2d game we've had a bunch of bad 3d games uh, sonic generations was an okay um but what it's come down to is this guy here who's been making these ROM hacks and has made these mobile ports basically can make a better Sega, a Sonic game than Sega can. So they've just gone, you know what, fuck it, you do it. Uh, and that's what we've got here, which is Sonic Mania, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, just looks like um, a, a sequel to Sonic 2. Um, and, you know, that's fine. So, like, it's going to come out and it's just going to be another Sonic game, but because it's not any of the walking trash fires we've had over the last 15, 20 years, it's going to be pretty good. Uh, and then there was like another kind of 3D Sonic game as well that I don't actually know anything about. But uh, this, that, that doesn't look so great. No, which is to be expected. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting that where um, usually, you know, like, and we've seen it before sometimes where someone makes a ROM hack of a game and then goes to the company and says, uh, here's this thing, and they kind of go, ah, uh, fuck off. Here, it's like the complete opposite um, side of things, and it's to Sega's best interest to kind of go with it because they'll actually make some money out of this and actually, I'd presume, because, uh, like, considering how good the ports were, like, I'd presume this is actually going to be pretty good. And the trailers uh, and, like, the level designs for some of the new levels looks pretty good. And, and overall, just, like, it has a... The, the, the Sonic games have some of the best sort of pixel art style from that era, uh, and it's up to snuff with that. So, yeah, uh, thumbs up from me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was certainly the one shining light uh, in an otherwise very dim occasion that was that 25th anniversary live stream. But that, my friends, is enough for the news this week, and we are going to move on to our regular feature that is the Link to the Cast Book Club, where we look back at a famous game from the, or a famous or important game from the history of video gaming that we think you all should play if you haven't already, or revisit if you have. This week, Mark, we are looking at Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time.
The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time is an action-adventure video game developed and published by Nintendo for the Nintendo 64. It was released in Japan and North America in November 1998 and in Europe and Australia in December 1998. Originally developed for the 64DD peripheral, the game was instead released on a 256 megabit, that's 32 megabyte cartridge, the largest capacity cartridge Nintendo produced at the time. Ocarina of Time is the fifth game in the Legend of Zelda series and the first with 3D graphics. It was followed by a direct sequel, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask in 2000. In Ocarina of Time, the player controls Link in the land of Hyrule. Link sets out on a quest to stop Ganondorf, uh, king of the Gerudo uh, tribe, from obtaining the Triforce, a sacred relic that grants the wishes of its holder. He travels through time and navigates various dungeons to awaken the sages who have the power to seal Ganondorf away forever. Music plays an important role. To progress, the player must learn to play several songs on an ocarina. The game is responsible for increased interest in and rise in the sales of the instrument. Uh, Mark, it's fair to say that we on the show are fans of Zelda. And to that end, Jack Lazell has uh, rather quickly exited the building for the rest of the program, <laughs> knowing there was uh, a very small chance he would be able to get a word in edgewise with us. Given that we are fans, look, we've named our podcast after one of the games in the series, so it's pretty obvious we're fans. Um, given that, could you please uh, kind of explain uh, how important for us, or maybe for you specifically, uh, Ocarina of Time is, and how important it was at that time for that franchise? I, I'd go further than that. I'd say it's a very important game in terms of... Uh, where games were at that time as they were making that transition from uh, 2D to 3D. Now, Mario 64 had already come along at this point and made that transition, um, certainly in terms of controlling a character in a 3D space and how much control you could have. Um, also, certainly graphically as well, because there are a lot of 3D games around that time that were very uh, blurry and murky and, and didn't look that good and certainly didn't control that good. What Ocarina of Time did was within that 3D space was make this big, grand, epic adventure. Uh, you know, Mario 64 was very smartly designed in a way that um, you had the castle and you had the levels, but it, it didn't feel like a kind of grand adventure. Uh, Ocarina of Time took what had come before with um, the original and even Link's Awakening and A Link to the Past and you know, took that, extrapolated that, and put it into a 3D space, which, I mean, as you mentioned there, the, the size of the cartridges alone, or the size of the space in the the memory in the cartridges alone, uh, you know, it pushed the N64 to its limits. Um, and it's, it's pretty, pretty damn impressive for what they managed to do uh, at that time. Uh, and certainly things like the um, implementation of the Z's targeting system is something that, you know... I think we take for granted like how much that is used in games today, um, even in something like, say, a Grand Theft Auto game where you auto-lock onto a target to fire at them. You know, that, that all comes back to uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And I think I read somewhere as well, actually, um, the one of the developers for Grand Theft Auto said that, like, if you have not at some point as a, a developer used something or been influenced by something from Mario or um, Zelda, then you're not a games developer. And... Uh, I, I think that's a pretty powerful statement. 
Absolutely. It um for me one of the important things to talk about with a lot of these book club games and uh, Ocarina is uh, no exception, as you hinted at there, is the concept of legacy. And legacy not only in terms of like people stealing mechanics, like you said, the, the Z targeting system and things like that, uh, but in terms of creating um a kind of vast open adventure. I think a lot of uh, games we play nowadays, a lot of games that are popular in kind of the the adventure the the kind of adventure genre or RPG RPG genre uh, or sandbox genre, have a lot to thank Ocarina of Time for. Uh, I would venture to say, uh, like I know, for example, like the Elder Scrolls series, the first two games in that series had come out in ninety four and ninety six, so the the series was already on a roll. But I think it's fair to say that. Um, Ocarina of Time really, in 1998, set the bar for what that kind of game could be. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just... Uh, it, uh, if, anyone, if anyone is out there that is willing to try and disagree with that, I'm, you know... Um, but, I mean, like, obviously, there are games around that period where, I mean, say, like, Final Fantasy VII, for example, you know, that's hmm. a massive, epic, sprawling game as well. But the difference is there, and you know, for the longest time, um, back in that period of time, uh, myself and Jack and a few of our friends were having a big argument about which of these two games were better. And you know, Final Fantasy VII is absolutely huge as well, but you know, that had like three or four discs to do that over, where um, Nintendo had to be smart about trying to put an adventure game onto a cartridge. Um, which, you know, they did very well, apparently. Um, but it was just the idea of taking not only what had come before with Zelda, but being able to take all of those ideas, um, the dungeons, you know, and turning them into this fully formed 3D space with puzzles and mechanics and enemies. Um, and I don't think anyone could have imagined that it would have turned out as well as it did, especially if you compare to some of the other games, maybe not so much of that nature, but if you take, for example, the original Tomb Raider game, that has aged horrifically. It's mm. it's it's a snapshot of that moment in time, and it's uh, like, you know, it's a historic and important game, um, but it's aged so badly. It's borderline unplayable now, where certainly with Mario 64, and definitely with uh, The Ocarina of Time, that game is as playable now as it was back then. Mm. And obviously the the cleaned up 3DS version is the way to go now, but still the original holds up as well. I I, I do think, and it is worth noting that like um, you say like in terms of gameplay, yes, it and Mario sixty four both hold up in terms of like you can come back and they're they're accessible and playable even now today. Even though, as you said as well, you might want to uh, target purchasing yourself the 3DS versions because they're slightly cleaned up and sharper uh, nowadays rather than trying to. Uh, track down an N64 for yourself. Although I think actually, is Ocarina of Time available on the Wii U store? I, w- mm, I know it's on the Wii store. I imagine it must be on the Wii U store. Uh, but there is also the Master Quest version for the GameCube, which is always worth picking up. Yeah, so it's uh, um, it's but- it's available in a number of platforms. Exactly. Uh, what I wanted to say is, that I think the one thing that maybe we could say it and Mario 64 as well. Um, the one thing that definitely does age it are the the polygonal graphics, but I I, I think that's not something really you can <laughs> knock them down too much for because pretty much any game from that era is going to age badly uh, when they're using those kind of graphics. 
Yeah, um, and certainly even um, within two years with Majora's Mask, which used the expansion pack, you know, it cleaned up certain textures uh, on the N64. But yeah, like the biggest issue with the N64 um, when it comes to the, the graphical side of things is just kind of large um, textured environments you tend to see when you get up close, the kind of stretching of the images and they get very blurry. Um, that That's kind of the bigger issue. But in terms of like, you know, Link's animation, uh, and the kind of actual level design and the environments of the temples, like they still look really, really good for the time. Uh, what are some of your kind of personal memories of playing through this game? Was this a game you played at the time when it came out? Did you come back to it later? Um, I was certainly um, a couple of years after the fact on this one. Oh, really? Yeah. I kind of, I would have played this around, because I got my N64 in like, I want to say 97? I want to say because I think it was when I made my communion that I that I spent my communion money on getting it. Okay. And I think at the time I got like I had the first four games I got were Diddy Kong Racing, Lilat Wars, Mario Kart, and Mario sixty four. It's a strong four, and that kept me busy for quite some time. And because it was my first home console uh, that I owned myself, that wasn't a hand me down. It was the first time I'd gotten used to the idea of like buying games for myself and kind of apart from playing a little bit of link to the past i wasn't zelda hadn't got its claws in me yet so it was only a couple of years later after i had actually properly played through link to the past that um i went back and kind of went okay i need to pick up this and i need to pick up majora's mask and things like that i think one of the things that made me actually rethink uh the franchise was all the cool artwork that was being published in nintendo uh, official magazine in the run-up to uh majora's mask coming out yeah they did a very good job um, um but, some of that stuff yeah so I, I played it a couple of years after the fact what about you were you picking this up when it came out what was what what do you remember of your original time playing through this game uh i remember being absolutely terrified of it uh the redeads were <laughs> like one of the the early kind of parts of the game see you having to go and um learn how to play the the sun song and going down into that crypt uh and having to deal with those redeads absolutely terrified me and even up until um, like a few years after that release, like I, I would get to the Shadow Temple and be like, nope, I'm done, I'm done. Um, and yeah, it actually took me a little while. I, I'm pretty sure I did finish at the time. I, I remember uh, one of my friends who lived very close to me, we would usually kind of take turns playing it. And uh, he certainly did the Shadow Temple there. So yeah, yeah that that was um, it's a it's actually a lot darker than I think some people sometimes give it credit for. I, I think people have a tendency to go with Majora's Mask as being the Dark Zelda game, and yeah. fair fair enough because that is kind of bleak and oppressing throughout. Yeah, uh, and especially kind of you know going back and there's actually uh, an excellent uh, game theory video about Majora's Mask and some theories around Majora's Mask. That just kind There's of a lot of them, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, his one that's really long. It's about twenty minutes long, I want to say, and it's all about how, like, you know, the theory in Majora's Mask that Link was dead the whole time. Yes. Um, and like, it, what that video does is, I'm mean, I'm not saying that I subscribe to that theory, but what it does is, it actually goes under the skin of some of the dialogue in that game and really shows you just how dark that game was. But yeah, it, like you said, Ocarina of Time was not without its own darkness and doesn't get um, kind of recognized for having that uh, in well, it's, it. It's it's like the first time where, um, you know, you pull up the Master Sword and you think, okay, all right, I'm going ahead seven years in time and um, 
you know, we're going to go and save the world. And then you come out. And I'm having a similar, had a similar experience actually with Final Fantasy VI, where you come out back into the world and you realize what the hell's going on here. And, and the village that you see early in the game and is part of the experience, like the central hub almost, other than Hyrule Field. And now it's this desolate, destroyed um, place, market town, uh, with the Redeads walking around. And you realize that, you know, even though you've been locked away for seven years to, to kind of save the world, the inevitable is going to happen. And, you know, Ganon is still going to take over anyway because you're not strong enough as a child to defeat him. And it's that kind of weird time paradox sort of thing. Um, and yeah, just I remember the first time coming out, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, and then that darkness obviously kind of overrides into when you go back uh, to the Gorons or you, uh, and you know, they're all, they've all disappeared or they're all locked away in the fire temple mm-hmm. or you have to go and find uh, the Zoras and they are uh, frozen in ice. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it, it has very dark elements that, as you said, um, people tend to overlook because, you know, Majora's Mask has a fucking moon crashing towards the earth. Um but that is like those two games are are drenched in that just kind of overwhelming sense of you know just darkness and this yeah. dreading looming sense that you know <laughs> you're not going to win uh one thing um more about gameplay before we move on to a couple of the other elements I want to hit before we wrap up here um one of the elements that definitely characterized my first gameplay of Ocarina of Time um and stopped me from playing it for quite a while uh, before I went back to it and beat it. Uh, talk to me about the Water Temple. <laughs> because I don't know if I can get through talking about the Water Temple in the original version without swearing. Yeah, and obviously it, it goes without saying um, the way to play the Water Temple these days is to play the 3DS version because, yes, the uh, having to constantly go into your menu screen, um, which isn't the most kind of fluid uh, elegant system to pick the iron boots to come back out to you know have them for three seconds before you take them back off yeah that's a bit of a pain that's the kind of bigger issue with the water temple but the simple fact is and i keep bringing him up but you know there's a reason for it mark brown has a series currently uh, where he's looking at all the the dungeons um and their designs within the, the zelda games and he makes the good point that the Link's Awakening and Link to the Past dungeons had a lot more of a, a or less of a linearity kind of feel to them, um, where there was more areas to explore from the get-go, and you kind of had to fit together like a jigsaw puzzle, like what was the kind of right order I need to do things. With the transition to 3D, while the dungeons in themselves are still really well designed they're pretty linear for the most part other than like in a couple exceptions where you have to do certain things the water temple is this giant puzzle and the it's that kind of every action has a reaction which isn't the case with other dungeons and that's kind of what throws a lot of people off and even me like if i go back if i take more than six months off from playing that game i will completely forget at least one thing to do with the water temple Oh, and yeah, dude, you're talking to the guy who, when he stopped playing Arkham Knight for two weeks after he beat it, and then went back to try and do the Platinum, had apparently completely forgotten how to use his hands. So <laughs> I I could sympathize with that. Yeah, it's but it's a really genius idea. Like, okay, you have three different water levels, and depending where that water level is, 
will uh, determine where you can go and you know you see something but you can't do anything because the water is the wrong level so you have to figure out how to change that and then get back to it um and it's 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 an incredibly designed temple and i do understand the frustrations that people have because of the constantly having to go into the menu um but i still think it it kind of stands the test of time as one of the best uh, dungeons that they've come up with and you can kind of see they've gone back to that template in a number of ways like the lake bed temple from twilight princess kind of steals a couple of the ideas um and it's still very very good but that original design um is still like i as much as i hate having to go through it I, there is a kind of charm to going back over that temple and reminding myself yeah i can still do this um moving on from gameplay into mechanics which is another headline i want to hit upon very briefly um one thing I always admire about games, particularly during the N64, so for those of you who have never picked up an N64, and for the very, very few of you, I imagine, who have never seen one, and the N64 is a wonderful console that was an integral part of my childhood, um, but the controller that came with the N64 was not the most uh, functional, ergonomic design I've ever seen in my life, uh, you might say. And not a lot of games uh, that came out of it, uh, except for very, very particular uh, cases, made full and great use of every part of that controller. The C buttons, the stick, the trigger, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on how Ocarina of Time uses that N64 controller? Because I I think that it, it uses it quite well, to be honest. Yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, the, the biggest pain with the N64 is trying to emulate the bastard because you can't really emulate the N64 onto a PS4 controller. Yeah. <laughs> and Lord knows I, I've tried. I got uh, one of my proudest achievements. I got full completion of Mario 64 using my laptop keyboard. Wow. Yeah. All right. No, fair play to you. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, I do think um, between the combination of the Z-targeting... Um, the way that Link controls. I think one of the key things is that, um, and, you know, it's been the case for most Zelda games, the lack of a jump feature mm. means that um, Zelda... Ha- Zelda's never been classified as a platforming game, and that completely changes the way that you have to look at Zelda and the way that they design Zelda games. Um, so, like, I mean, Mario has some kind of puzzle elements, but it's primarily, primarily a platforming game. And one of the key things with that is the camera you know in um mario 64 the camera is directly focused on mario and you know that is the kind of sole focus of where where your attention should be but with um the legend of zelda and that's the other thing with mario as well is that you know some of the uh, c buttons are solely resigned for you know moving the camera around mario in zelda the the camera is out more expansive um you know you're seeing the environment that's been created and that means that you know there are more buttons there to do more things and obviously you assign uh the c buttons to uh whatever items that you need to use and thank god they're there because otherwise we'd have more problems like in the water temple the iron boots we'd have that it's the biggest issue that i have with Link's awakening obviously that was resigned to only having two buttons um but the use of those c buttons there it's kind of like the equivalent of um the way that the d-pad is used on a lot of games these days if you think about it the d-pad really is now what we used to do with the c buttons back in the day yeah yeah it really is um 
the uh, it, it always just kind of I, I just did want to make mention of that because like when I think about the all the N sixty four games I have or at least the, the ones that remain in my collection that I haven't lost over the years, um, there's very few of them I can point out and say, well, look, they they managed to figure out a way to make this kind of like. <sighs> It's weird because, uh, like yourself, I, I have a fondness for that N sixty four controller just because of the memories that that flood back when I think about it being in my hands. But at the same time, in today's age where I'm used to the way like the DualShock four or the Xbox One controller handle, it's just like what sort of maniac devised something like an N sixty four controller? So yeah, I kind of wanted to make mention of that. But the final thing I want to talk about before we move on, and I, I mentioned some of the kind of the critical reception, and we do our elevator pitch. Um, is the music. Um, music has always been inextricably linked to being a very fundamental part of the Zelda experience. Um, going back to even the very first Zelda game, but I think uh, its arrival on N64 and the amount of space, like we talked about the size of that character, the amount of space that was given over that allowed them to do a bit more with the music. I think it's really where we went from quite cool music in the nes snes era into this is proper orchestral stuff Mm. um your thoughts on the 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 soundtrack to ocarina of time because like like it is this this is where it moves into the era where now we have the legend of zelda orchestra that travels around the world this is kind of where it really starts look just jurida valley (laughs) like Jiro the Valley is um, a, a top five piece of music of all time. Like when you kind of ride in on a pona and the camera zooms out and you see through the valleys and you hear the the, the kind of twang of that Spanish guitar or that MIDI version of a Spanish guitar, um, and then you hear the kind of clap in the background. It still gives me chills uh, to this day. I think actually one of the again kind of underappreciated or understated parts of the Zelda design is actually in the dungeons. It's that very kind of low-key, uh, ethereal, atmospheric, uh, looping back, uh, background sort of soundtrack that you get. Um, and they, between Ocarina of Time and actually up until this point, really, I really like because in, uh, in Link to the Past, uh, it uses the one track for all of the... Um, the dungeons in the dark world and it like that and uh, bowser's castle the castles from super mario world are kind of similar that they're, they're they're kind of there and foreboding you can hear them but with um in in the zelda games certainly in ocarina of time and certainly for stuff like uh the shadow temple and the water temple they're just kind of there gently in the background and it's not really um it's almost like do you, have, do you know of uh, philip glass uh yeah yeah, it's that very um, sort of esoteric, just uh, ambient noise, uh, and it really works in those kind of environments. You like really feel the um, the kind of not emptiness, but the uh, just kind of isolation of being in those dungeons and being alone. Um, and certainly, like throughout kind of further games, they expand on that even more. Um, but you know, obviously, the the Ocarina songs, like if I hear um zelda's lullaby to this day like it's like it immediately puts me back to being a kind of 10 year old 11 year old boy uh playing playing the game for the first time or, or you know playing the, the the c buttons to uh actually play the song and yeah like I, I think everyone that has played that game knows what it's like and to be fair it's the same as well um 
it's the argument that me and Jack have about you know this against Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy VII does it just as well. Like that piece of music that takes you back to that time when you was a, a, a young teenager, a small boy playing for the first time. Um, it has that power, has that grip because uh, they're so memorable. Um, yeah, definitely like uh, one of the finest soundtracks of the '90s for video games. Yeah, um, we want to talk about um, kind of. What the the critical reception at the time was for this game, and normally we do do a little bit of this on every book club, but I think this might be one of the longest laundry lists of praise and accolades uh, we have had so far thrown at a game. So uh, sit comfortably there, Mark, for a couple of minutes because I've got a, a hell of a lot to throw at you here. Okay. So Ocarina of Time was released to widespread critical acclaim and strong commercial success worldwide. In the United States, over five hundred thousand pre-orders were placed more than tripling the numbers of pre-orders for any previous video game in history, and more than one million copies were sold there in less than a week. In 1998, 2.5 million copies were sold, although it was released only 39 days before the end of the year. It earned 150 million US dollars in revenue, higher than any Hollywood film of the last six weeks of 1998. (laughs) In Japan, 820,000 copies were sold in 1998, becoming the 10th best-selling game of that year. A reported 386,234 copies were sold in its first week there, surpassing the 316,000 first week sales of Metal Gear Solid. In the United Kingdom, 61,232 copies were sold during its first weekend. During its lifetime, Ocarina saw more than uh, saw 1.14 million copies sold in Japan and 7.6 million copies sold worldwide. On its initial Nintendo 64 release, Ocarina of Time received perfect review scores from the majority of gaming publications that reviewed it, including Famitsu, Edge, EGM, GameSpot, and IGN. As of January 13, the review aggregator websites and Metacritic and game rankings respectively rank the original Nintendo 64 version as the highest and second highest reviewed game of all time with average scores of 99 out of 100 from Metacritic and 97.54% from game rankings. It held the highest score on game rankings for 10 years when it was eventually succeeded by Super Mario Galaxy. The reviews uh, praised multiple aspects of the game, particularly its level design, gameplay mechanics and sound. GameSpot reviewer Jeff Gersman friend of the show (laughs) wrote that ocarina of time is a game that can't be called anything other than flawless and ign called it the new benchmark for interactive entertainment that could shape the action rpg rpg genre for years to come game trailers editors called it a walking patent office due to the number of features that became the industry standard and just to while i finish this off just just to recap there I'm going to go through the aggregate and review scores uh, from the most famous publications at the time. So aggregate scores, game rankings, 98%. Metacritic, 99 out of 100. All game, 5 stars. Edge, 10 out of 10. EGM, 10 out of 10. Famitsu, 40 out of 40. GamePro, 5 stars. Game Revolution, A. GameSpot, 10 out of 10. Game Trailers, 10 out of 10. IGN, 10 out of 10. Nintendo Power, 9.5 out of 10. RPG Gamer, 5 out of 5. It's a pretty good game, Mark. <laughs> it's all right. I I've heard it is quite good. Yeah, no, it's a game that I go back to at least once a year, or at least every two years. Uh, and it's actually been a while since I've done that, so that's probably something I have to get back round to. Um, I've made it quite clear uh, on this podcast and on a number of occasions that Majora's Mask is my favourite game of all time. Um, but it goes without saying that Majora's Mask wouldn't be, you know, what it is without Ocarina of Time. Um, and it deserves every bit of praise it gets. Uh, you know, there are, I, I have seen every now and again someone comes along and says, eh, it's all right, but 
they weren't there, man. They weren't there. Um, my simple elevator pitch for this game, Mark, is that it is arguably one of the greatest games that has ever been made, and one of the five most influential uh, forays into 3D from that period of time that also spawned the likes of Super Mario 64 and Quake and all these games that we hear as being real legacy games. It is one of the most important games you will ever play to see where games kind of came from and where they went afterwards. I can't really argue with that. That is true, Mark. The one bit of business we have left before I begin what will be a lengthy wrap-up this week is for you to tell us what is your game for the book club next week. Yeah, so I'm going to do something interesting here. Uh, I've got a game that was uh, originally released in the 90s, uh, has many, many uh, people saying it's one of the best games for the original PlayStation, but it was a game that I actually only properly played and finished uh, just about two weeks ago, and that is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Okay, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. It's our... Oh, we have done... Yeah, we have done a Metroid game before. I was going to say the other half of the Metroidvania pairing. Have um, we done Super Metroid? We, we No, oh, we no, didn't we do Super Metroid. We've done uh, Metroid Prime, I think. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. Okay, so that's Castlevania Symphony of the Night for next week's podcast. Before I start wrapping up, uh, I want to officially roll out, Mark, our new programming schedule over for A Link to the Cast. And this will be, hopefully, a unifying production schedule that results in much more consistent content on the website, from the podcast, and on YouTube as we look to grow all those platforms. So, going to run it through from start to finish here. Every Monday, you can expect a new series that is being preliminarily called Mark on Mondays. And that's where young Mark Robinson here on the line with me goes and does a solo stream of whatever he's playing lately. Mark, what have you got lined up for people on Monday? Uh, on Monday, I will be starting a series on the uh, popular RPG that came out last year, Undertale. Undertale. So you can yeah. look forward to that. Mark on Mondays, every Monday over at YouTube uh, on the link to the cast account. On Tuesday is the day where we are going to publish an article on our website, linktothecast.wordpress.com. And in addition to that, we're also going to be posting one of the old book club features uh, over on YouTube. So you can listen to that in isolation. If you want to go back, you want to listen to, well, what did these jokers say about Link to the Past? What did they say about Banjo-Kazooie? You can pop on YouTube. We're going to be adding those as the weeks goes up, go on until we're caught up. Um, and uh, what is our article for this week, Mark? I believe you're taking, uh, you're, you're taking the first pop at an article. Um, are we are we doing it that way? We uh, are, well, we, e either way, we can do mine first or yours first. Well, I mean, we, we both technically got the same thing we were talking about. It's just depending on who wants to put theirs up first. Well, what what kind of article is going up? We'll talk about whose goes up first later. But we, okay, so what kind we, of article is going we've up? We've both been assigned. Uh, we uh, been assigned from on high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are going to um, do an article, or we're we're pretty much there now we just need to actually put them out on our top 10 games so far of this generation uh, so that is dave's personal top 10 and my own personal top 10 yeah so that that covers ps4 xbox one wii u uh, pc and mobile yes um, so you can look forward to one of us will be on next tuesday and then whichever one of us goes second then the following tuesday Wednesday will be a feature that I'm calling Link to the Cast Play, where the two of us are going to sit down and we're going to bash through a game together, uh, like we have done with games in the past. Uh, and I am going to announce right now that the game that we're going to start playing uh, for an hour or so every Wednesday, and Mark is going to be very excited by this, is Beyond Two Souls. Another David Cage joint. You are garbage people. 
<laughs> Thursday. All you're getting on Thursday every single week, and it's plenty to get, is the podcast. This very podcast that you're listening to right now, linked to the cast, will post every Thursday. On Friday, we're going with a series because I can't think of a better name for it. Friday Plays. <laughs> and that's my solo stream. You got Mark on a Monday, you've got me on a Friday. I'm going to play something every single week. What it is this Friday, I'm going to go with uh, what is in many ways uh, the spiritual successor to Journey. That's Abzu. That's what I'm going to do for my solo play this Friday. And then starting next week, every week until I get bored of it, I'm going to be doing No Man's Sky. You'll be journeying through the galaxy with me on No Man's Sky for an hour every week until I get sick of it. Or, which, until, or until the Bioshock collection comes out. I was going to say, which means Friday will literally be No Man's Sky up until Bioshock. Yeah, pretty, pretty, well, I hope so anyway. I hope I don't get bored of it quicker than that. Uh, in addition to that, we've got other streams that'll be coming up. The Pokemates are coming back. Don't worry about that. We just got to sit down and record that now in the next couple of days. Obviously, whenever a new episode of it posts, we're going to do another shit mem. Uh, doing kind of whatever the latest episode of Hitman is. I totally gutted I was out of town for the Gary Busey uh, special target mission. Uh, very, very, I, I don't know if I'll ever recover from the shame of missing that. Uh, and we'll also have quick plays. Whenever a new game comes out that either of us get a hold of, we're going to put up, they won't be on a particular schedule. It'll just be whenever we get a chance when those games come out. Those will be going up on quick plays. Also, the best way to figure out that's when they're going up on YouTube those those plays that I went through on Monday Wednesday and Friday but if you want to know when we're doing it live so that you can come in the chat and make sure Keep Brony isn't lonely um, just keep an eye to our Twitter at link to the cast and you will see notifications just as we're about to go live so if you want to join us as we're recording then that is absolutely fine you can do that but Mark there are a lot of ways to contact us this age of social media it's gone crazy we are in the, the year the year of our lord that is twitter and i don't know where i'm going with this yeah, yeah. The, the tentacles spread wide across the internet there are many different ways you can contact us obviously our website is linked to the cast.wordpress.com it's where you're going to get those articles on tuesday it's where at the end of every week we're going to do a content roundup to show you what you've missed all week if you haven't been in touch with us oh, but please yeah. please stay in touch with us because it'll break poor mark's heart if you don't um but if you want to see things as soon as they get posted the best way is to catch up with us on social media facebook.com forward slash link to the cast we're at link to the cast on twitter mark on his own is at lithium project i am i am at dave ryan iv and brian who is often on the podcast is at cargan 4107 uh twitch where we will be uh recording our streams live before we archive them and put them up on youtube later in the week we're on twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast. Tumblr, which we often neglect, but should probably figure out something to do with. Yeah, but Tumblr just, you know, it's it's a weird place. It's I, Whenever I turn it on, I immediately just think, I, sh- I shouldn't be here. <laughs> Too much for old man Robinson. <sighs> link to the cast.tumblr.com anyway. We still do post the podcast and things like that there, so you can check us out there. Search for us uh, on YouTube, link to the cast. Uh, try and find our account in amongst all the videos from the weakest link on there <laughs> and, of, and of course if you want to drop us an email tell us we're doing a good job tell us we're piss babies tell us anything link to the cast at gmail.com is your route to do so soundcloud where we post this podcast is soundcloud.com forward slash link dash to dash the dash cast 
and uh, look for us on iTunes as well link to the cast on there rate comment subscribe all that good business help us with our search engine optimization we do kind of intermittently appear in the noteworthy podcasts uh, for video games and hobbies in uh, the UK and Ireland and I'm very happy about that and we'd probably appear a lot more if you weren't such slackers very very much so and hopefully this new schedule will be one that will uh, try (laughs) and uh, get us out of that slacker attitude but I suppose that is it for this week Another episode of Link to the Cast of Link to the Cast is in the books. Episode thirty, Mark. We're here after thirty episodes and what feels like a lot of giant size annuals as well. Yeah, well, you know, there's always other things that need to be discussed. Um, but obviously, I, I'm going to put this in for you as a cheap plug. Obviously, yourself and friend of the show, Young Jack Lazell, have uh, have ventured out into the footballing podcast landscape. I've spread my wings and flown the nest. Yeah, Mark Mark has certainly taken that philosophy on. If you love something, let it go. And if it loves you back, it will return. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, you and uh, Jack have your Away Goals podcast. Um, At Away Goals pod on Twitter. Go and have a listen. It's a good time. Uh, Myself, I am now actually doing a little bit of writing for uh, a website called Pocket Tactics. Uh, that is your one-stop shop for all mobile games that focus on the RTS and kind of collectible, collectible uh, car gaming genres. Um, so I've had a couple of reviews up in the last two weeks. So go and have a look over there. Um, anything else? Any other news? Uh, everyone go bully Mark to make him play Gwent when it comes out. <laughs> Not a fucking chance. I have already told my EIC, I was like, there is no goddamn way I'm going anywhere near that fucking thing. <laughs> Well, I suppose that's it then. Like I said, another episode in the books, number 30. Join us next week for number 31 where we're talking about Castlevania Symphony of the Night. So for now, I have been your party host, Dave Ryan. The man on the line to me here has been the plat- platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Howdy. And also, earlier in the show, our thanks to friend of the show, Jack Lazell, the Roman Reigns of the podcast, who appeared in his capacity as Pokemon Go ambassador. Uh, yeah, and I'm pretty sure, like, uh, with Pokemon Go being the... Uh, in the I mean, you try state... to wrap up a show and he keeps talking. Uh, go on. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, with Pokemon Go <laughs> being in the perpetual state of change that it's going to be be in, I'm sure that young Jack will be on at some point again. I'm sure he will, and there's still a couple of Metal Gear Solid games to induct into the book club. <laughs> yes, yes, there are. <laughs> I'll, uh, I guess I'll put my feet up and have a cup of coffee while you two uh, have at it over them. <laughs> Anyway, that's that's it from us, so uh, thank you all. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.